0: Howdy, 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 folks. What's going on? Welcome back to the Anonymous Investors Podcast. I'm here with your boy, God. Today, Martin Shkreli is here, and he's going to be dropping some knowledge bombs on you. What's up, God? Talk to the people. Say what's up.
1: What are you, live from Allentown, Pennsylvania?
0: Yeah, I'm live from the penitentiary. I'm on the burner right now. You already know.
1: You're going to get another five years.
0: It's uh, I'm I'm the uh, CEO of K Bio, and uh, Vieira Pharmaceuticals, aka known as uh, Turing Pharmaceuticals, formerly known. A lot of weird shit going on in the world today. A lot of cool shit to talk about, especially this week, man. It seems like, it seems like there's a lot of shit that goes on, when we aren't recording, which makes for good topics to talk about, but it also seems like. There's so much shit going on that we can't keep up with. I don't know how you feel about that, but it's been kind of crazy.
1: I know. It's like every day there's something new going on yeah. in this crazy world.
0: Yep. So um, one of the main things we talked about, at least in the last few episodes, was just this whole gas crisis going on. Obviously, we hammered Ukraine and um, Russia home. What are you, so- a my
1: issue?
0: <laughs> yeah, I have a gas issue, right? That was a good one. What are you, a dad? You're making dad jokes now, bro. You're making dad jokes. But um, no, yeah, anyway, the U.S. has a big flatulence issue, obviously, and that comes with the U.S. being morbidly obese. I'm sorry, Americans, but it's true. You need to cut down on the McDonald's, all right? But anyway, uh, gas prices are getting out of hand. If you look even in certain parts of California, we saw that gas prices were nearly $7 a gallon. It's fucking getting crazy out here. Anyway, so – No one knows how to combat what's going on with gasoline prices. I mean, well, what's the natural thing to think about? Well, the U.S. under at least a different administration, not to get political, but under a different administration, they were a net exporter of energy and more specifically natural gas and oil for the first time in 75 years. And America achieved energy independence. And now... America is not energy independent. They're dependent upon other countries, which is obviously not a good thing because you need leverage and you need leverage in trade. And, you know, the reality of the situation is the Keystone Pipeline and all these other things changed. But now what's going on is consumers are getting hit overhead at pump. I know you drive. I know obviously I drive and you see these gas prices are fucking ridiculous by us, right? So now right. what's the proposal, right? What is Congress going to do to kind of go to bat for the consumer and to try to lower gas prices. Well, this is one thing that they proposed and I couldn't help but laugh my ass off as soon as I saw it. So here's a, here's a main thing going on. If you didn't hear about it, it's called the gas rebate act of 2022. It's a bill that was proposed by democratic um, leaders and obviously from California, Right. So here's something that you'll find that's very interesting. Here's CNN talking about it. If you want to look this up and read it on your own time, the headline is some lawmakers want to ease the pain of high gas prices with direct payments to Americans. Doesn't that sound like something that was going on, like the COVID payments, right? I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying sounds a lot like the COVID payments that were going on. Little stimmy Um, jokes again. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. So here's the bill. The bill is called the Gas Rebate Act of 2022, and it was proposed by Representative or excuse me, by Representatives Mike Thompson of California, John Larson of Connecticut, and Lauren Underwood of Illinois. And basically, here is the gist of it. The gist of it is that uh, they want to raise taxes on big oil companies and have them pay rebates for taxpayers of roughly $240 a year for single filers and $360 per year to joint filers. Now why are they doing that I'm sorry go ahead
1: why would they do that when they could just um produce more gas by using the national gas reserve and- Well the,
0: here's the thing with the national gas reserve and I think that um a lot of people had this huge misconception of it uh so the they have this reserve and in theory it's a fucking awesome idea right but If you look at the amount of barrels of oil they actually have in this reserve, it's only like 70 to 80 million barrels. Um, And if you know anything about like the American economy and how many barrels per oil they use per day, it's about like 30 to 40 million at any given point. So like that reserve is more of like a, um, it's more of like a symbolic achievement than anything else. It's not actually very practical. So, so if we use 30 to 40 million barrels per day and that thing only holds 70 to 80 million, we're really only good for two days. Um, they need to expand that. And I think that should be a main focus of like the next administration to come in or it doesn't seem like the current administration is too keen on expanding that, but the next administration or whoever comes in, uh, I think they need to focus on that. that. That needs to be something that it's such a brilliant idea because it gives you so much leverage in- The world economy especially dealing with opec the cartel that it is the oil producing exporting countries of course for those of you don't know the abbreviation uh it gives you so much leverage in the political landscape because the reality of it is this the us is a fossil fuel addicted country they need fossil fuels to run everything um and truthfully it's very hard to function and i know you previously mentioned this about renewables there's been a major shift towards renewables But at this stage of the game, we can't just drop everything and go all in on renewables if we don't have the infrastructure to support it, right?
1: Right. I I was seeing, too, um, these gas prices are going up. But then there was a study, right, by um, the consulting company McKinsey that the amount of oil uh, of barrels on the market hasn't even actually changed. There's still 90 um, million barrels of oil on the market. So like, how is that possible that there's 90 million barrels of oil on the market when Russia is sanctioned? Where are these? Where is this oil coming from? So like, I think the oil from Russia is actually getting into the market and then it's getting repackaged. I don't think there's actually an oil crisis that people uh, think there is, because there's you see no drop off in the supply of oil, through the through like Energy Insights and other companies are showing that there's no drop off, which is like very weird how this oil is getting into the market. I, I don't even understand how.
0: Yeah, I don't understand that either. I mean, unless they're kind of going through other countries as a proxy, right? That would make sense. Similar to how, you know, some countries will bypass um, tariffs and trade restrictions, right? Right. I,
1: th- I think the it's it's like the movie, like, War Dogs, how they, like, repackage the armory. I think, like, the oil is getting repackaged.
0: Very okay. interesting.
1: That's very i seeing the supply drop.
0: Very interesting that you bring this up. Here's another note that was going on with this gas rebate uh, credit that was um, proposed. So separately in California, Democratic governor, everyone loves him. Gavin Newsom has a plan to give out $400 debit cards to the state's registered vehicle owners. Drivers would be eligible to receive up to two of those refund payments per year. So you're talking about he wants to create a plan where he's giving drivers $800 a year. How unbelievable is that? Drive. That's what? in California. For driving.
1: Does it have to be an electric car or something? Or they just get it for if they drive. No, th-
0: well, this is dealing with gas. This is the uh, the gas crisis that's going on. So it doesn't even have to do with electric cars.
1: Well, I think a solution to this gas crisis would be to push people towards energy independence and push people towards the electrification of their cars. Then there's going to be less of a demand for gas if they push people towards electric vehicles. I think that's. uh Obviously, a very viable solution. And why don't they just push more and more people towards electric, to decrease the
0: demand? I totally agree, but at the same time, right now we don't have the infrastructure to do that. If anything, right now is is like such a huge turning point where it should push people towards invest. It should push the government and taxpayers more towards investing in green alternatives. But at the same time, we don't have the infrastructure. Like we need to build up that infrastructure. While we're still producing our own gas and natural gas and consuming it. I think we need to um, focus on energy independence, at least using natural gas and oil. And then at the same time, hedge our bet and really hammer home green energy and and give tax credits and um, tax breaks to companies that focus more towards that. And not in the form of like the green new deal, right? Where if I'm a a developer, real estate developer. Um, you know, at least with what I did uh, in the past, I worked with a lot of real estate development companies, construction companies, right? And um, you know, we had developers that like they were getting hit over the head because of the Green New Deal. Like, if there certain um, materials that they were once able to use. So, if you actually look at what you're supposed to use, it's almost like you're building these massive skyscrapers that aren't going to be structurally sound because you're not allowed to use steel you're not allowed to use you know certain types of glass you're not allowed to use rebar like you might as well just build the buildings out of popsicle sticks and and just hope for the best you know so it's getting a little unbelievable but um you know then you have certain companies like Exxon I, I remember we spoke about briefly Exxon was investing more into green energy, right? They've been sort of a big leader in that push. Uh, I know you could speak a lot more about that than me, but, um, Exxon looks like they're making major strides to kind of push towards green energy, right? Oh uh, yeah.
1: Exxon's actually, um, they came up with this, or they're going to come up with this carbon capture system because they're, um, they're releasing a lot of like flare gas into the atmosphere through their um, natural processes and they're going to use, they're going to uh, uh, capture this and then repackage it and then mine Bitcoin with the, um, with the carbon that they capture, which is an, an interesting concept because if you look at the Bitcoin um, hash rate, then the hash rate of the Bitcoin network, and then you look at the, um, the CapEx of like uh, energy costs, like there's literally no extra um, CapEx for these gas and oil companies to do this. So they're going to be, um, one of the best position they're gonna be one of the um, best people positioned to capture the upside of uh, Bitcoin.
0: That's a real um, that's a real positive thing that they're doing. I mean it's, it's smart to move into Bitcoin mining, especially if you're using like extra um, energy right or emissions that are coming out because at least you're using it to do something productive, right? So um as far as bitcoin and everything related to bitcoin um, I mean like where do you see bitcoin mining going right because there's been so m- there's been so many people publicly who've come out and criticized it and they've basically come to the conclusion that it it almost seems like they don't care about how green the mining has become
1: well those um, are just a lot of those are just bozos. The people are bozos. <laughs> they, they criticize the energy that Bitcoin mining is used, but they don't, they don't look at the, um, the amount of energy that the, the natural financial system uses. You think the money just comes out of thin air and that the federal, when the federal reserve um, they lower interest rates and then they give it to these banks and then these banks have their internal systems and there's, they're using energy. Um, they're using energy there. And then people, the, the employees that the banks, uh, higher how do they get to work they drive to work and that's how they get their loan originations and that's how they stimulate the economy so people are not looking at the full picture and the amount of energy that the the, um financial system uses already and if they looked at the amount of energy that the financial system uses already and then they compared it to bitcoin they would be surprised at how bitcoin is actually more efficient than the financial system we have today so these people are just like retarded dum-dums
0: i don't know if you saw but like if you remember this bill gates came out and he was publicly speaking about how like bitcoin's inefficient and the mining isn't very green and he wanted to like kind of stop the mining remember proof of work mining he was really going after that and then all the crypto miners were just like okay bet and then now it's like 75 percent of all bitcoin mining is like green mining right isn't that what's going on
1: yeah they said the um the, the the banking system, right? This is from a um a study. They said the banking system uses sixty three point seven two terawatts of energy each year. That's nowhere near what what Bitcoin's using. So, so if you want to criticize the energy usage, you want to you look, want you look at the uh energy uses of the actual financial sector. We could we could actually be more efficient. We we eliminate the uh these central bank bozos. We switch to Bitcoin, and we uh, we actually make a progress towards uh coming more uh, energy efficient. Cause you got to think, think about too, right? You ATMs, you go to ATM, right? That's all uh energy being used. You plug in. You think the ATM just turns on? Nah, you got to plug that shit into the wall, my dude. Right? You got uh these banking data centers. You think the fucking these banks they have like these global apps with and stock brokerages? You think, oh, it just magically pops up, and there's no electric being used there. No, nah. like these people are are stupid. They're like they're listening to Peter Schiff, and then they don't even know what, what what's really going on in reality.
0: And the other thing that I I feel is worth mentioning is that like for people who don't know, the traditional financial system operates within what like an eight hour window, five days a week. So you're talking about a system that's not only very antiquated, but the energy consumption is so much for something that's literally only open for most people anyway, right? Like 90% of people who aren't like um, institutional traders or market makers or guys in the futures markets and options market, like for 40 or 45 hours a week, the consumption, the energy consumption compared to um, like the crypto market per se is so much more right isn't it like 5x more and it's only operating 45 hours a week conversely where the crypto market is 24 7 and it consumes like a fifth of that right
1: right it's, i think it's one-third one-third of uh the energy uses that, that the makes actual banking sector uses and that's not even to mention debit cards like debit cards another antique antiquated uh form of making payments like why do you need debit cards and all the energy that a debit
0: card uses Yeah. Dave Ramsey, you want to talk about debit cards. Dave Ramsey preaches debit cards and they don't even have the same fraud protections as credit cards. Not only that, but they all, they also don't offer the same purchase protection either. Like if I use one of my cards and I go and I buy something, you know, typically like it doesn't really, it, you know, depends which credit card uh, issuer you have, but most of them, if you have like even a no annual fee card, you typically get anywhere from like three to six months of purchase protection. So like here's a great, here's a great innovation, like a company, like um, just, to, just to pick any company arbitrarily um, like American express, they'll offer purchase protection on like a new iPhone. If you buy a new iPhone. So Apple tries to upsell you on, on their own insurance, Apple care, which is typically expensive for the average person. It's anywhere from like a hundred to $200. I, I haven't bought it in a while. I haven't bought a new iPhone in a while. but last I checked, it was about a hundred or $200. Right. And you're covered for like a year or two. well, you could get basically Apple Care if you use an American Express no annual fee credit card and you're covered for like half a year. So it's like literally the same thing as Apple Care, but you're covered for less time and it comes for free if you use your card. What now they're not doing that out of the kindness of their hearts, obviously, they're doing that in a sense of like they want to show you. That hey, look at these perks. You could get everything if you sign up with us. And then they're looking to hit you over the head in interest. But if you're smart and you're a savvy consumer, what you do is you use your credit card. You buy the new tech. You you know you buy the thousand dollar iPhone or whatever the cost. This is very expensive eight nine hundred thousand dollars upwards.
1: Oh, you know what they're doing with iPhones? Apple just announced they're they're forming a uh, subscription program where you only where you pay a certain amount per month, and then you could switch out your phone whenever you want. So you just pay like a fee per month.
0: That sounds a lot like what T-Mobile does, because T-Mobile doesn't do contracts. A lot of people don't know that, but um, they're an okay, you know, service provider, uh, you know, relative to everyone else. It seems like Verizon, AT and T are the big dogs, but those companies kind of lock you into a contract. It's very similar to what T-Mobile is doing, uh, and has done for a while. But I do like the fact that Apple themselves are doing it. Um, that's awesome. So yeah. how, how is the affordability of that for, like, an average person? like how well, much they, per they're,
1: they're doing um, research on it now. They, they think it's going to be between $30 and $40 per month. And then you're going to get Apple Music, Apple Arcade, um, Apple Fitness, Apple News, and then uh, you could change out your iPhone when a new one comes out. Like, you're not locked in. So you so, going to be between $30 to $40 a month. So does that include service as well? Um, no, I think that's just for the phone.
0: Okay, that's not bad. So, with Apple Music, would that be like a family plan or anything like that, or no?
1: No, just I think it's going to be just a single. For
0: you, okay, something. so it would just be like Apple's main like infrastructure of products, so like Apple News, Apple Music, uh and then what were the other ones you said? Like Apple Arcade and
1: and Fitness and Apple News.
0: That's pretty good. That's not bad for thirty dollars a month. That's not too bad. What about Apple TV? Do you get that with it or no? Um, I don't
1: think so. No, I don't think you get that with it.
0: Yeah, Apple TV is not bad. It I don't know what it is with Apple. Apple just kind of like – I love them as a company. Well, they dropped
1: the ball. They should have bought Disney, and they would have been yeah, in a much better they, position.
0: They,
1: they would have had Hulu under their, under their wing because Disney is, uh, owns Hulu. So they would have had Hulu, Disney, and then they could have made their own content too. They would have been a content machine, and they would have rivaled Netflix, and they would have rivaled Paramount Studios and uh, MGM and Amazon. So they, they, they would have been
0: in a much better position than they are now
1: content-wise.
0: Here's another thing too with Apple. I was reading this recently. At one point in time, they could have bought Disney and they could have bought Netflix. They could have bought both of them at the same time.
1: I don't know that if they would have gone through trust trustwise. I don't think they would have went through.
0: You don't think they would have been able to buy Netflix and Apple?
1: No, I think they would have had to I think Apple would have had to choose between Netflix and uh, or Disney. I don't think they would allow those two. Those those are like the basically only two big competitors in the market is uh, Hulu and then Netflix. So I don't think you would be able to consolidate them all. I think antitrust would come down on them.
0: I think Disney's infinitely more valuable. Like, you look at the brands that Disney owns, Marvel, obviously the the traditional um, Disney figures that they have, Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, uh, you know, Goofy, Donald Duck, all those characters that everyone knows, the older crowd knows. But um, then you have some other characters, too, that are, like, these new films that they've been doing, like, oh, bro, Pixar? Pixar's the biggest thing. If you want to you talk about a moneymaker for Disney, bro, Pixar, like, prints money. Prints money. They are literally the best animation studio on the planet. Like, it's not even close. If you compare any of these other movies that come out, animated films, DreamWorks, doesn't matter. Um, they they can't compete. They can't compete at all. I, I'm a big Disney guy. Um, I know a lot about them as far as, like, a lot of this. It's a fascinating company to follow. Like if you actually follow what they've done um, in the last like 30 or 40 years, like do Disney. Um, I don't know if you – do you know a lot about Disney or not really like the corporate history? Because I'll touch on that a little bit if you want me to. Yeah, sure. All right. So like obviously Walt Disney founded the company, built the company, right? Um, he had like Roy Disney in there who I believe was his nephew um, and then also Walt Disney's brother – was involved with the company for quite some time as well. But basically Walt Disney had this whole idea of like, you know, creating the brand, creating Mickey mouse, and then like kind of getting into filmmaking. And uh, he did that for quite some time up until his death. Um, And then, you know, he opened Disney world in Florida. That was like his grand vision. Um, But unfortunately he died before Disney world in Florida opened. Right. So he, his whole idea was like make films, and take everything that he makes from animating and kind of put it into theme parks, which was like kind of his master plan. Right. Um, so it's fascinating how he even came to like opening Disney world too in Florida. So he purchased all the land through like different shell companies he created. So he would go to people and just offer them like a ridiculous amount of money through like some random shell company that could be called like, um, Michael Jackson LLC or whatever. And then just buy the person's, fucking land and then he'd have another one called like shit fuck llc and just buy everyone's land so no one knew what was going on and then by the time people kind of found out he already owned like most of central florida like in orlando um and then obviously built the theme park but after his death there was kind of like a power grab that was going on because there were people who at disney kind of wanted to carry out the same vision that walt disney had and focus in on making um, like animated films and making like children's movies. And then there were people who were kind of more of like corporate raiders. So there was one point where like Disney was going to fall victim to like corporate raiders. So to save the company, like um, Roy Disney kind of stepped in and he picked Michael Eisner to like take over the company. Uh, And this is all fascinating stuff. Defunct Land has like an awesome series on um, Disney videos. If you want to learn about that, I highly recommend anyone who's interested in this type of stuff. To go and check out his channel, phenomenal channel. Focuses mostly on like the history of Disney, but also like rides that were very popular at their time for either being uh infamously popular, like shitty rides, or like really good rides that unfortunately Disney had to cut because they couldn't process like enough people through the ride per hour. Um, so like one of the best rides in Disney's history, just as an example, like offhand, it's called Ten Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, but it's Everyone says this is like Disney's best freaking ride, right? But like they don't have it in any of their American parks because they can't process enough people through the ride. So like people would wait on massive lines just to get on this ride and like they would have no shot of getting on. So you're talking about three or four hour waits minimum on like a slow day for this ride. And there's no way these people would get on the ride because – they'd have these submarines that would go around and in each submarine, they'd only fit like 15 to 20 people and they have a line of like 500 people. So like, it's just not going to happen. You have like three submarines and the ride itself is like 10 minutes. So you're logistically, you're talking about maybe you get to like, I don't know, a thousand people every like two or three hours and the line just like never ends. So they kind of replaced a bunch of these rides that were old school like that with newer rides with, you know, um shorter durations and stuff like that. But there's a lot of logistics that goes into Disney. But anyway, Michael Eisner is like the most controversial figure in Disney because he at the same time he's like the best thing and the worst thing to happen to the company. He he's a he was like a phenomenal businessman, like understood everything from a business perspective, but he got like super ambitious um and he opened up all the theme parks. So like um Tokyo uh Disney, he opened up. Um he also opened one up in Hong Kong hong kong and euro disney uh euro disney is like disneyland paris and most people consider euro disney to be like the worst one like in terms of profitability i think they had one profitable year and that was about disney hong kong so disney hong kong was interesting um because they originally opened there while the british still occupied um hong kong so the british turned over hong kong to the chinese government and I believe the late 90s and before that Disney opened Hong Kong, which was interesting because the, their main draw was like, OK, we have a Disney park in China, so we'll get mainland um, Chinese tourists to go to Hong Kong to visit it. And then at some point when um, uh, uh, Bob Iger, I, I I was drawing a blank there, when Bob Iger took over, he was just like, we're building a park in Shanghai. And then that was it. So then they built Disney in Shanghai. So now no one goes to Hong Kong because if you, you know, when you look at the topography uh, at least geographically of like who, you know, where most people live in China, they live in mainland China. Like China has one of the world's largest populations. And most of the people live in like Shanghai, Beijing and any of the mainland areas. So they don't, um, so Hong Kong is pretty like heavily populated, but it's not populated enough for like, them to build a park there but that was like their and that was like their way into china kind of so they built this park and then eventually they opened shanghai and the people in hong kong were like really upset about that because they knew that most of their traffic was from at least tourism was from mainland china you know mainland um chinese tourists so then they opened up in shanghai and then that was it like shanghai just kind of like hong kong they still have disney is one of those weird companies that like even though they bleed money with euro disney Oh, and Euro Disney almost bankrupted Disney itself. Like they literally almost went bankrupt. Um, but under Eisner, they keep, they devised this like business model where um, – I don't know if you saw this like Disney Sea. It's in Tokyo. It's it's fascinating. Everyone says it's like the best Disney park. And the funniest part is that Disney just licensed out all their likeness for like characters and rides. And they let this company called uh, – you could look this up if you want. It's very interesting to read about the um, – it's called the oriental land company and they like built all the disney parks in japan all the newer parks and in china and this company everything that um people commonly say the best disney park is um disney Sea, and it's not even it's not even made by disney like that's how insane it is uh and people like disney tokyo and a lot of these other places too and it's hilarious because these are the best disney parks at least commonly cited by Disney enthusiasts, and they weren't even built by Disney. So Euro Disneyland almost bankrupted um, Walt Disney, the Walt Disney company. And then the same thing with Hong Kong. So Eisner's very controversial because he focused like under his leadership, the company was its most profitable, but he was very ambitious and he tried to like scale too quickly. And he took on a lot of debt doing that. Um, So then they had to devise a model to kind of like outsource the bill. You know, future theme parks because they were hemorrhaging money with those two projects. So that's why like the Oriental Land Company is ridiculously like profitable. And a lot of people don't even know about it. So real interesting stuff, real interesting stuff.
1: Um, This, This is the thing too, right? You look at the success that Disney's had with their theme parks. Why doesn't like a, a Netflix or a Hulu make make their make their own theme parks and use the content that they generate to uh to basically have their own theme parks with their characters and everything like that? Like I don't understand why these um subscription programs like Paramount, uh Netflix and and uh, Hulu they don't have their own theme parks.
0: Yeah, so I think a main play with that would be for Universal. To go to them because Universal has Universal Studios in Florida and they also have some locations in uh, California and as well as around the world. If I was Netflix or Hulu, any of these Disney competitors, I'd go right to Universal and just honestly license out the likeness of characters. Make a Stranger Things ride. You know how many people would go on that ride? That would be be amazing. That would be incredible. Right. These rides would go nuts.
1: Absolutely nuts.
0: Yeah. So there's – and it's cool too because you know that Universal would obviously do this. Like there's no reason why you shouldn't. Go to these other companies and say, hey, we have a hit Netflix show. We've got, you know, Stranger Things. That would be a phenomenal ride. Like think about – I don't know if you've ever been to Universal in Orlando where they have that Harry Potter ride. But that's like another great ride um, that they've recently built. Something similar to that but make it Stranger Things themed. Like they have E.T. It's like, okay, great. You have E.T. You know, E.T. is a shitty ride now. Like it's so outdated. They don't do anything with it. I love E.T. E.T.'s classic like a classic movie, great Spielberg film. I mean, really it doesn't get more iconic than that. Like when you think of Universal, you think of E.T., but like you don't need an E.T. ride anymore. And then also they have a bunch of Star Wars rides in Universal still because that was before it was owned by Disney. If I was Disney, I'd be like, "Listen, Bozo's, like you got to shut that shit down. Like we own we own uh we own Star Wars now. So like you can't have Star Wars rides in there cuz we have Star Wars land in our parks." So now because we own the rights like we're kinda of gonna claw it back or whatever, or however long they own the rights to having Star Wars rides. Like if I was Universal, I'd be thinking of very very quickly, I'd be trying to think of alternatives. So um, I also think that Disney we previously spoke about this uh off off uh, stream or uh you know off the air. Um we spoke about how uh Disney owns 21st century Fox. So I believe that Disney like in an indirect way owns the Simpsons because 21st century Fox was, they own the Simpsons like and the likeness. So that's another thing universal has like the Simpsons land. And I think it's the Simpsons is a little bit of like mature humor for Disney. So like, they kind of own it as like, they own it sort of, but like they won't directly claim ownership of it. And they won't in, incorporate any of that into their parks, which I think is kind of silly because Disney at, you know, everyone knows Disney as like this clean cut family company, but at the same time, like that would be good to have like a nice change of pace and maybe have something a little bit geared more towards like adolescents or adults. Um, maybe like a segment of a park or something. They should do that. And like that's another thing, too. I don't know about you, but if I'm Disney and I own the Simpsons indirectly by owning 21st Century Fox and you have a section of your park that's dedicated to the Simpsons and it's a giant area, like I'm going to hit you over the head if you want to continue to have that Simpsons area in your park. So I don't understand why they don't do that. It doesn't really make any sense. So again, Universal should look to like new and up and coming brands and uh, these licensing deals like Netflix and Hulu and uh, you know even Amazon. Amazon has their own original shows, which are obviously aren't as good as like Netflix's shows or Hulu's original shows. But at the same time, it's like there's no reason why you can't license out some of these things. NBC was smart, by the way. I don't know if you saw this. NBC is smart because obviously they made Peacock and like they have the office on there. And I'm sure at some point they'll move Seinfeld over after uh, Seinfeld's done on Netflix and whatever, because um, it, it's on Netflix and Hulu, I believe, right now. But it will eventually be on Peacock because NBC owns the rights to that show. But NBC, they licensed out the Jimmy Fallon ride. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It, it was a decent ride, but they licensed that out and they were smart because they know that people love the Tonight Show. And it's a huge part of American culture. It's more of like an establishment outlet. But I thought like that was a big time power play because, um, you know, as much as the younger generations don't really care too much for late night television. um, It's smart because it'll draw in a lot of the older crowd that really kind of grew up with the tonight show. And they would kind of reminisce about, you know, watching Johnny Carson have these up and coming comedians on and, you know, famous celebrities. Right. And Jay Leno was on there for quite some time too. So, um, there's a lot of older people that will like that, so it appeals to the older demographic that still regularly watches tonight, uh, watches t- the Tonight Show, or any sort of like conventional um, media outlet.
2: Right.
1: But um, yeah. But what was going on? Did you you said you recently saw a video about Dave Ramsey?
0: I'm glad you brought that up. I got on a little bit of a tangent there. But uh, yeah, I brought him up when we were bringing, when we were talking about um, debit cards. So Dave Ramsey, you know, we, we just spoke about crypto too with Exxon. Uh, so getting back on track here, I digress. Um, you know, we recently spoke about crypto. So like Dave Ramsey has been like super overly critical about crypto so much so that it, it's this real weird thing with Dave Ramsey. It's almost kind of culty. I don't know if you've seen this. His employees, they all share the same opinion as him when it comes to money. Now, well, they're not allowed really,
1: to have their own opinions. There, you know, <laughs> they have a different opinion, they get fired. Well, like you I think a television of his employees, if thats true. He said, um, like, "I have a credit card. I have a credit card." You think he would—he would still hire them? I think if someone said to him, "Like I have a credit card and they were employee of his," I, I think he would fire him.
0: I don't know what the grounds are there. You know, I'm not Dave Ramsey. I don't work for him, so I don't know what the case is. But I do know this. Um, so recently, I came across this video. I don't know if you've seen it. Dave Ramsey's employees, I believe it was uh, John Delaney and George. I don't know if you've seen this George fella. Glasses. He's got the beard, ginger. He seems like an interesting guy. He had some good tips about you know managing money and budgeting and things like that. But dude, they are so fervently against cryptocurrency. It is unbelievable. Like these guys are the the mental gymnastics that they do. To try and discredit cryptocurrencies hilarious. I got a segment here I'd like to show you. It's a couple minutes long. Uh we'll play the segment out and then you know we'll we'll offer our thoughts at the end. But it is unbelievable what these people do. I mean, the mental, like I said, the mental gymnastics, you're gonna be blown away when you hear this. Wait till you hear this. Unbelievable stuff here. So here we go. Uh so the title of the video, if you want to follow along or go back and watch this at a later point, it's Ramsey Show Reacts to Horrible Crypto Advice on TikTok. So there is a lot of bad advice on TikTok. We see a lot of young people going on there. People running their mouth. They don't know shit about finance. They don't know anything about investing. But they're going on there and they're running their mouth or whatever. They're just parroting what people like us say who are professionals, who work in the profession, who have, you know, well a well documented, long track record of you know, generating glorious amounts of alpha. Okay. And uh, for those of you who don't know, alpha is just excess returns over the market. So the hundred-year average of the stock market, uh, adjusted for dividends reinvested and inflation, is about seven percent. Uh, people commonly cite ten percent that does not factor in inflation. So seven percent is the true hundred-year market average. Um, I, I know, if, and at least in my case with my portfolio, and uh, particularly with equities, um, I've more than beaten that um, in my you know twelve-year. Uh, history of investing 10 it's actually like 10 years pretty much yeah that's when I kind of got into it i know uh God's the same way he's had a very long proven track record uh how we came to become friends and you know that's a whole nother story for another day maybe we'll touch upon that in a later episode but uh you know we became basically the tldr is we too long didn't read we became friends because of our shared interest and equities in equities and investing which is why we have this show to begin with but anyway I digress. Uh, so here we go. Ramsey show har- reacts to horrible TikTok advice advice uh, regarding cryptocurrency. So here we go. This will be really funny. I know you guys will enjoy this.
2: Hang on here. This
0: thing is just being real silly. So, um, let me see if i can find this here uh here we go all Sorry, right here we go people
1: can always fast forward you know
0: yeah let me know if you could hear this cuz we've been having some issues here with the audio um hopefully you'll be able to hear this if not i'll i'll keep trying and we'll we'll circle back to this it's not a huge deal uh hopefully you could hear this god uh, let me know if you hear this all right all right hit hit play yeah, we're good here, right?
1: We're good, yeah. Beautiful. Happened, you your check, no. Raise it up, though. Raise it up. Pump up the volume. Pump up the volume. Now I'm not hearing shit.
0: Oh, you really don't hear it? What the hell? No, nah, right. it was on and then it came off. All right, hang on. I don't know what the hell is going on here. Just give me one second, folks. Bear with us. Software's bugging out today. But nonetheless, all right, I'll play it now. Let me know you hear this. So choose your words. Good. You good?
3: Beautiful. Invested your $1,200 stimulus check that was first issued on April 12, 2020 into these top 10 most popular cryptocurrencies. $1,200 investment into Bitcoin today would now be worth $7,538. $1,200 investment into Ethereum would be worth $22,929 into ADA would now be worth $76,000. $363 into BNB would now be worth $28,720. $1,200 investment into XRP would now be worth $5,873. Into Solana would be worth a whopping $210,389. Into Chainlink would be worth $8,544. I think dogecoin would me. be worth $126,000. Look at this idiot
1: Lightning smiling, thinking he has a point.
3: A $1,200 investment into Terra Luna would now be worth $180,000.
2: Well, George, my hemorrhoids are back. Hemorrhoids are are back.
3: They're back, John. Wow.
2: You know what else is cool? If I had not gone to Taco Bell yesterday, I wouldn't have indigestion. Is that how that works? You know what he didn't play? He didn't play the other 10th. Gosh, dude, dude. So let's just recap what just happened, John. First of all, I think he made up about 17 words in there. How do people just keep up, man? Uh, and here's the other thing. Hindsight is twenty twenty. John, you're an idiot. If you invested in Apple in 1984, it's $100.
4: Boys, boys, you'd boys, be a millionaire boys,
2: But you know, boys, if you boys, could put some money in Ford shares, you'd be a gajillionaire. A so, John, I was just in Vegas, and I, I put 16 black, and I went all in on it. I won big. You should also put 16 on black next time you go. Because that's the winning number. This is such a terrible use of statistics. Everybody – I don't know if we can call it statistics. I think professors all over are angry, right? Well, it's just this. It's this. No, man. You got John Albrethi, America.
1: You do have Look what you
2: did. Because I hate the manipulation of data to, A, make people feel dumb.
1: Oh, my fucking God. I hate this guy.
2: Could have made. And I'm not even gonna go should have because we actually have real data about what these things are worth.
0: Fucking redneck. Have. Yeah, we'll Just reserve our thoughts until the end. Don't worry. Well, if you had a, so you should, because there is zero, none, zilch correlation. Let's full thought here. You know. And it left out ten thousand
2: other crypto, like, like whatever cartoons drawn with some kid's laptop. It left all that out. Who people lost their. Their minds, mm-hmm. right? So you take a narrow snapshot of those things and it makes you feel stupid and left out. And then that's going to encourage people to go make some reckless choices with their money. Oh. Their nonsense hurts people. It's not helpful. No, it's not helpful. Not at all. It just gets I you hear crazy. the groaning. Makes you feel more
0: What's total? your so, thoughts here? Come on I now. Missed out.
2: I missed out again on the next big thing. Right? And uh, as we know, timing the market is the most dangerous thing you can do. And we say it's, it's not about timing the market. It's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. It's about consistency over time when it's up, when it's Pink down.
1: And, it's Buffett.
2: and think <laughs> long track record. That's why we recommend mutual funds over the next meme coins that just came out. So producer James pulled up some All right, listen to
0: this. Listen to this. This is big.
2: Interesting- if you had invested twelve hundred dollars into Ethereum in November twenty twenty one, as of January, you would have eight forty. There
1: goes a fuck. That's too much. We'll listen, 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 listen. November 2021, as of pause, pause, you got to pause. I got to talk now. The, gotta, po- the point isn't done. Hold up. You, you got to hear this. Gotta I got to talk now. He said if you invested 1200 <laughs> in Ethereum in November, you would have yes. 840 Okay, if you right. invested 1200 in November, right now you would have about 400 in the stock market because it, it fucking declined 66%. So you have to compare everything relatively. This guy's a fucking complete bozo.
0: Exactly. This is what the producer gave them. So just listen to the rest of this. Listen to how ridiculous this is. I want to play the whole segment for you. I knew this was going to happen. By the way, folks, I don't know if you know this, but God, you know, I'm a big crypto guy too, but God, he hates these motherfuckers that come in with their bullshit facts. And you know what? I love watching it. I'm a little bit of a troll here. That's why I picked this segment because I know that he's I, I could see the smoke coming out of his ears about John Delaney. Look at that little grin on John Delaney's face. God's like he wants to smack the shit out of him and knock that grin right off. Fucking eye your Meta- shirt. Meta- like,
1: on. like if you Meta- would have listened to Bitcoin, you could actually bought a fucking sh- cashmere shirt instead of a fucking cotton piece of shit that he's wearing. <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right, folks, folks,
0: let's hear the rest of this. So he he offered a two-month timeline with uh, – what was that, a, th- a Bitcoin or something or Ethereum, whatever – the, the producer gave him notes, and the notes are so horrible. You got to hear this, folks. He doesn't even use the same timeline for each coin. So remember, the first coin was only two months, November, December, January. It was only two months. Listen to this now. Hang on. Here are the rest of the coins that he lists out. This is hilarious. The guy pulls the dates out of his ass to be like, oh, if you add it from this time to this time, you're down. But he doesn't use the same timeline. Just pay attention, folks. You got to hear this. This is well, so He doesn't even to- talk about diversification in coins. Right, he doesn't. He, do he just, he best just best writes it of, off as a total to Hang a on, hang on. Let's reserve our thoughts here. We got another talks couple about of Diversifying
1: in the stock market, but then he says, "Oh, you put all your money in this meme coin." No, you have to diversify into different coins. We,
0: yeah, we gotta we gotta play the rest of the segment out, and then we'll offer our thoughts at the end. But you gotta just hear how ridiculous this is. I knew this was gonna get you all riled up, which is why I picked it. It's good for it's good entertainment and it's good lessons for people listening. So here we go.
3: Congratulations! Just
2: lost half your money. Way to go, clap, America! If you invested twelve hundred dollars into Dogecoin in May of twenty twenty-one, as of January, you would have three hundred and sixty dollars instead no, you're of. In you're
1: investing in Dogecoin. You're in need.
2: For a fact, John. Here's why: when we were doing the episode on cryptocurrency on the Fine Print Podcast, which you can go listen to wherever you Middle listen
1: to Middle school podcasts, boys everywhere were, were angry with you. They, yeah, they're.
0: Very- All right. Anyway, that was the segment. Well, what's interesting about it is that talking about Dogecoin, like, come on. Like, yeah, Do- look- Doge was 4. the 9. biggest. Do- doge is the biggest piece of cr- all time. You know what? Actually, i I take that back. I take that back.
1: The whole purpose a of a cryptocurrency is, is it's supposed to be time. it's supposed to be deflationary. So, like, why would you buy Dogecoin that doesn't right. have a infinitely a fixed inflating?
0: Cap? It's worse than the dollar. You're better off buying whole. You want a cryptocurrency
1: dollar. with a fixed cap. Like, if you if you're buying a cryptocurrency that is that doesn't have a fixed cap. And that keeps inflating every year. You might as well, yeah, you might as well just keep your money in the dollar. You're not solving the problem that cryptocurrencies solve.
0: Right. At least the dollar, inflation, inflation is only 8% a year and not fucking 1,000 or whatever the fuck it is with Doge, you know? The whole point of cryptocurrency is to get away from infinitely inflating um, medians of exchange that lower your purchasing power, right? The whole point, the whole point, the whole crux of crypto when it first started, you read the Satoshi's white paper. It's literally geared around we need to get away from the banking system, we the US financial system, uh, which is at that, at that point, 2008, 2009, even today, is the global financial system. The whole crux of it is Satoshi saying, we need an alternative, not that it needs to be Um, as big or as robust as the U.S. financial system, but we need an alternative system where we could preserve purchasing power, which is the, that is the thesis for Bitcoin, right? The whole fixed supply, 21 million, nothing will ever be created past that. It cannot be counterfeited. Once enough people agree that it has value and they see the use of it and they see the uh, divisibility of it and the ease of access and ease of use, it will become widely adopted and widely accepted as well, an alternative. There has to be well, a reason what,
1: for the medium of exchange. Like if, if you have a cr- cryptocurrency that you could use, that you can only use on say, let's Amazon. Let's say Amazon created their own cryptocurrency and you had to buy that cryptocurrency to basically um, buy an item on Amazon. That would have value. You, you can't just go around buying a piece of shit cryptocurrency. That's not a medium of exchange. That's inflationary. That has no utility and then expect, oh, I lost all my money. It was a meme coin. Like, uh, what the hell are you doing? You got to spend hours and hours of research. You can't just wake up one day and say, oh, I'm going to strike rich. Pull that slot machine. That's what these people on on Dave Ramsey, they like to think. Yeah, Dave. There's more time on their tractors instead of fucking talking about cryptocurrency. This is too technol- technological for them.
0: Look, I don't have a problem with Dave Ramsey listeners. I think they're people trying to better themselves financially, and I don't see anything wrong with that. It's just that I think they're going to the wrong person. Just like anything else, right? You'll, you'll, this is, God, I know this is something that you'll really appreciate that I have to say. Just like you diversify in your portfolio, you should diversify opinions. That's something that a lot of people don't do nowadays, right? You have to diversify, opinion, diversify opinions and you have to diversify the, um, informational intake of opinions. So just like if you go to a news outlet, let's say that you're Republican, you should listen to liberal news outlets, right? You should listen to moderate news outlets. You should listen to socialist news outlets You or, or vice versa. If you're on, if you're on the left side of the spectrum, if you're on the left side of the political spectrum, you need to listen, listen to opinions from everyone because it's what creates a more well-rounded, person and will give you a broader view of the world. So just like with financial advice, you should if you listen to Dave Ramsey, you shouldn't just religiously listen to Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey is proof that his formula works for him. It's not proof that it's going to work for you. It's proof that it worked for him and it worked for a lot of other people. So it might work for you. But the reality of it is this. Dave Ramsey proposes buying your house in cash Okay, if you live in—I don't, well, don't know if Dave Ramsey is well—I don't know if Dave Ramsey is well aware of this, but the large majority of Americans live in coastal moronic uh, cities and metropolitan areas where housing is essentially unaffordable. Uh, if you wanted to buy, I agree in a sense. He is a moron, and with that take, because he's offering advice that isn't applicable to probably ninety percent of his potential audience. Because 90% of Americans, his major demographic is Americans, right? Older Americans. Like, unless you bought a house in New York or LA 20 or 25 years ago, and you had that much cash sitting around, which even then housing was very pricey, um, a little bit more affordable than it is today, but still very expensive. I mean, still be spectrum. an idiot because you could have bought two, three houses. Right. And Maybe you could have used too. leverage, and you could have rented them out and generated monthly cash flow, got tax breaks. See the thing with real estate that's very interesting, and I'll touch on this very briefly. But we could have a whole episode dedicated to real estate. I could, I love real estate so much. I worked within the field, um, and real real estate like it, it literally is one of the best investments of all time. Um, you're talking about with real estate. This is access to things that the average person normally does not have access to. So with stocks, you could do the same things that I'm going to mention with stocks, but it is a little bit more complicated, right? It Right, got it involves like futures and it'll involve options. And most people, they don't have the fucking time or the patience to learn about something that's so archaic in the financial system, right? So real estate's good for this. Real estate, number one. Number one way to cash in on real estate, appreciation, either through forced appreciation, which is what I like to call sweat equity. You buy a POS house, piece of shit. You fix it up put a new kitchen in, put a new bathroom, put some new tiles in, boom, bing, bing, your equity goes up. You spend 15 grand remodeling the house. And now all of a sudden the home value increases by 50. Congratulations. You just made $25,000 in equity, right? You just made $25,000 in profit. You put 15 into the house that increases the value by 50 way to go. Okay. That's number one appreciation, forced appreciation. Now one B is, appreciation of the value of the property based on the area in which it's located, right? People talk about location, location, location. That's big in real estate. If there's major development go, developments going on in the area and major development projects, and more specifically, and this is what a lot of people don't talk about, corporate development. You have new office buildings being built. You have major companies moving into neighborhoods and into the residing areas. That's going to boost the value of the property. Um, well, you you would never get in at the
1: cheap price because you, have, you you would be waiting to save up the cash, so you would miss out on all, all this appreciation. Exactly, exactly. But I'm just like picking your nose.
0: Exactly. So just to just to touch on the other major areas to to make money in real estate, appreciation that's number one. And I'm going to very very basically cover cover this. We can go into this in depth in another episode, which I think we we definitely should because this is something that can help a lot of people and it can improve lives. So and we believe, like we said in the past. On the Anonymous on the anonymous Investors podcast, we believe in the d- democratization of information. Um, anything that we could put out there that has helped us in our personal lives or helped us with our experiences, we believe that everyone should have access to because it creates a better society and it'll create a situation where people will be happier, morale will be better. And um, when people are doing better financially, there's less crime. There's also um, more availability to resources. It also puts people in a position to where They can pursue endeavors that will be more constructive to society. Because if you have a group of people in society that are down on their luck or they're distraught and they're very upset with their circumstances, it doesn't make for a productive society. And it also doesn't help people who are um, high performers in that society because now you have at least what's going on nowadays, at least with what it seems. It seems like there's uh, class warfare and division that's happening that is being perpetrated by people who are seemingly putting themselves outside of that scope. And and if you don't believe me, go on Elon Musk's Twitter. Like, look at all the people that tweet him and they say horrible shit. He seems like a nice guy to me. Like, I I mean, look, he's a hard ass. Like, I probably wouldn't want to work for him. I'm not going to lie. I love him. I love him as like an innovator. I think you're he's lazy, a guy, but I, I probably wouldn't want to work for him only because he seems very demanding. Right, you're lazy. I've heard, well, I've heard stories that, uh, you know, people who work for him, like someone will take off because you know, there was one guy who took off because, um, his wife had a kid and then he wasn't in work the next day. And then Elon emailed him and was like this, you know, what we're doing at this company is really important. Like you can't be taken off. I don't care if you, your wife had a kid or whatever. And like, that kind of rubs me the wrong way but at the same time like i respect the grind you know like anyone who's a high performer like that and has high demands of everyone and he's he's a leader he's not um he's not a boss like the difference between a boss and a leader is kind of like you know a boss will tell you what to do a leader will do it with you so like you know he's busting his ass like he's infamously known for Working, you know, 80, 90 hour weeks, sleeping on the couch in the office. Uh, I think when they were really making a big push to get Model 3 production out during the early stages of Tesla's uh, profitability, right? He was sleeping on the factory floor like, this dude's a fucking savage. Like, this guy's a fucking dog. Um, then I saw, what was it, Grimes says that he lives like he's a hermit and lives in like a $50,000 house. And the, remember, the mattress was all fucked up on her side and he wouldn't buy a new mattress. He he put himself in that mindset of like, even though he's a billionaire, he sold all of his possessions. Like he lives like a hermit kind of. He was living in the um, SpaceX factory for quite some time. You're and right. like the reason he does that is because he wants to put himself mentally in that position to where he was when he started Zip2, right? And him and Kimball, they were living out of that office. Uh, you know, they, they rented an office space for their business. He was he was sleeping on the floor and sleeping on the couch in that office. And he's putting himself in that mindset of like, I got to make this work. Otherwise, you know, it's the end of me. So I respect his like grind as far as that's concerned, because um, I think that you see a lot of people get complacent. You know, I think Bezos is pretty fucking complacent. He built Amazon, you know, did a lot of good in that respect, could do more. But I think that he's very lazy now and he doesn't really give a shit. And he that seems to be the case because he's spending more time on his yacht and not really innovating and kind of leaving everything with Amazon for Andy Jassy to run, who's a phenomenal uh, early Amazon employee. A lot of cool shit about him. But back to real estate, though. So the main point was, you know, getting off topic here, but this is all stuff that's very interesting to talk about. And I know you guys like listening to this. But uh, so this appreciation was the main one. Uh, second is cash flow, of course, monthly uh, income coming in, of course. Um, the third thing is equity. So the value, and that again, that ties back into um, appreciation, but more so like you take out a mortgage, like 30 year mortgage, 15 year mortgage, whatever, you're making monthly payments towards the mortgage, which is then going to increase your position, your equity holding in the house. So um, in that sense, we would call that mortgage pay down. Uh, and we'd also call that like equity buildup. Um, just through the progression of time and making your payments by using the base, like if your cash flow is $3,000 a month and you have a $2,500 a month mortgage payment, you're putting $2,500 of the $3,000 coming in. So you're left at 500 left over. And then you have all your write-offs, depreciation, CapEx, um, mortgage interest, property taxes, things like that. You could write off an offset against the 500. You in all likelihood wouldn't pay taxes on that because of the depreciation itself is going to create uh, a situation where you actually get a tax break which leads into my next point, which is the potential tax breaks. And these are all things that you, for the most part, miss out on um, if you own a property outright and you take Dave Ramsey's advice in, in a sense of like just buying the properties um, in cash, which, again, if you live in California, good luck. If, if you live in California and you could save up enough money to buy your house in cash, let me know. Let me know. Seriously, I'll, I'll give you $1,000. Like It's not going to happen. If you live in New York and you want to fucking buy a, a, and I'm saying that uh, figuratively, obviously, that do not take me up on that because I will not pay you because the odds are if you could buy your house in cash in New York or California, you're probably from a pretty well off background or you're like super high income earner to where you could do that. But for the majority of people, like 99% of people, will not make enough money a year to even be able to buy a house in cash within I don't know the next 10 or 15 years. Right? God, like the average person in new york's making what like you know let's say you make 100k a year like by the time you save enough money up the home values will like have doubled right or like close to have doubled at least in new york and california that's been the trend right
1: right you'll be chasing you'll be you keep, you're going to keep chasing the uh the home price you're never going to be, be able to buy a home as you keep earning more money the home prices is going to keep going up and up and up and the, and then you're going to be wasting money on rent that you're not even going to get a return on appreciation on. So you're going to be paying people, say, I don't know, $2,000, two thousand, twenty-two hundred dollars a month on rent. That's wasted money that you're not going to capture on any kind of resale. And then you're not even going to get the benefit of a, um, of the of the five hundred thousand dollars in free capital gains that you get when you sell home.
0: So yeah, and, a home. Yeah, and of- and the uh, and and just to um, point this out because a lot of people aren't too privy to this. So this is a really good point. I'm glad you brought this up. So as far as uh, tax situations, if I live in a property, right, and let's say it's a triplex or a duplex for the sake of uh, argument, right? So I live in a triplex or duplex. God lives in one of the other units, and I have some random – I have uh, Joe Mama. Joe Mama is my third tenant. Okay, we have a a we have a, uh, my second tenant. We have a triplex. I live in one unit. Uh, God lives in one, and then Joe Mama lives in the other.
1: Wait, you know With- who lives in the other unit? Who? Wait, listen. This is the guy that lives in the other unit. Okay, right? You ready? I'm ready.
0: Can you hear that? Yep, Jeffrey Bezos. All right, so All right, let's pause this now. Come on. Let's get serious here. So, uh I have, I have a triplex. I have two people in the other units. I live in one of them. So the situation is as long as I live there, as long as I live there, and that's my primary my primary residence for at least five years, I could turn around and sell the property. Um, so as a single filer, in my case, uh, I would be able to exclude $250,000 in gains, which is phenomenal. That's big time. And if you're married, it goes up to $500,000. So that's what God was previously alluding to. That's a major tax break for um, homeowners. Uh, who live in a property and they sell it? It's a very good way to cash out and not have to pay Uncle Sam anything. So it's a very, um, it's actually very common, but too many people don't know about it. Particularly um, in the younger generations, millennials and Gen Z, these are things that you got to think about with home ownership. Another thing too, like we said, it's pretty much impossible to buy a home in cash. Um, and if you do, and you compare the returns to say the stock market, you're way better off in the stock market. Like you're, for the majority of homeowners across the United States, like their homes really don't appreciate in value. Like if you look at areas outside of, like I said, the coastal cities, like if you look at, I don't know, Idaho, Utah, anywhere in like the rust belt, those home values are not really appreciating unless you're doing major construction and you really kind of become like a real, yeah, you don't need appreciation
1: consultant. because the cap rates are higher. So you don't need no appreciation in, in uh,
0: Idaho or Ohio. Because you exactly. Exactly. And, and, how I look at appreciation is appreciation is the cherry on top, right? You really should be buying properties for the cash flow. You have to look at the cap rates. So he brings up cap rates, which is cash another phenomenon. Uh, exactly, cash. Fr- That's my. By the way, I don't know if you guys ever heard this song, "Cash Flow" by Ace Hood. I love that fucking song. He's like, "Cash flow, I need it on time. I'm talking macro. That's like fucking Grant Cardone's theme song. But um, no. Anyway, so. The cash flow is like the main reason you get into real estate, and then the tax breaks is probably the second biggest reason because it, it really is like once you use leverage to get into real estate, it really is such an incredible tax shelter. And um, the barrier to entry for real estate is obviously greater than stocks, right? Like you could now we're in a weird situation where like you could buy uh, fractional shares in companies, which is kind of nuts. But um, you know, for like a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars, like you could become a shareholder in like pretty much every major american company like even amazon i saw split what was that like a 20 to 1 split i saw that was like two weeks ago I mean, yeah, real estate
1: syndicates too when you got um what's that other pro that there's this platform that you can buy real estate on but uh yeah they charge exorbitant fees, uh crowd
0: you know? something right yeah something um, like it's like a real estate platform you uh, buy it, what is you that, buy that buy called it, it's similar to like lending club kind of right well no it's like you buy actually
1: ha- like actual houses on on the uh platform you buy like a, per- a percentage of it oh fundrise that's what it is fundrise,
0: fundrise yes yes the, fundrise. Fees, the
1: fees are, are ridiculous i think there's like a two percent fee and then there's like a five hundred dollar uh advisory fee and then there's like management fees and etc and it, it's like they diluting all way away your whole returns
0: yeah and Fundrise the uh shares that you buy in these homes they're not really liquid because it's not on like a market, like you know, the New York Stock Exchange or the Nasdaq, so it is a little tough to sell them. Well, um, it, that's in the prospectus it, when, you, the when you beginning it wasn't
1: really that liquid, but they actually uh improved like the liquidity because they're they they have like a uh, set amount of cash aside and they they use that to buy back shares if you want to sell them. So like Fundrise will buy back your shares to create liquidity in the market. But when they first started, like I think it was in like around 2011, 2010, like it wasn't liquid at all. Now, at least you get some sort of liquidity, but like they only um, promise to buy back a certain percentage of the shares. So like if you're not on the if you don't make the cut and you're going to have no liquidity for your, uh, your shares.
0: And it's interesting that you bring that up because liquidity is everything in that market. But at the same time, like what's to stop you from just like buying a REIT, you know, like if, if you really want to get into like that residential real estate space, which is right. booming right now, like just buy a REIT. <laughs> like you'll have more exposure to properties, and you'll be in a more liquid market, right? Well, so people always go, oh, "Ah, read." It's a piece of paper. It's actually the best instrument to
1: use. A read. People like to go, like, "Oh, it's a piece of paper." That's what they people always say, like Grant Cardone. They everyone. "Oh, it's a piece of paper. It's a piece of paper." But like, it's the most liquid instrument. And you're not paying an exorbitant amount of advisory fees because these REITs have like massive scale. And you're getting you're getting into like some of the best deals. Some of these managers are like some of the best real estate investors in the world
0: absolutely and they've and they manage uh Whoa. hello yeah all right all right there's well, some, I... there some weird echo you hear that no i didn't hear anything but uh, what were you saying oh okay i was gonna say that there are some major um reit investors and large companies i think the one downside i'd say with reits is that they're not as quick to pull the trigger and kind of work on deals as they should be um but I that mean, just I comes know, with, red up, with most corporations right? pretty fast so, i mean Oh no, they do, they do, they do. But I'm just saying, a lot of these other REITs, like there's a lot of red tape that comes with being a big company, and this is just a main problem with corporations in general. I know we spoke about this a little bit in the past, but uh, and I always, I always believe inherently, um, most large corporations are like mismanaged, or at least they're not running at optimal efficiency. So that's where a guy like you know Carl Icahn will step in, or Bill Ackman, or uh, David Einhorn, like any of these other big major um activist investors that's kind of where they make their bread and butter like they step into companies that are traditionally well run but maybe they go through a period where they have incompetent management and they kind of look to shake up the board and put their own guys in that will help bring the company uh back to you know number one rule which is profitability and how do we get there and how do we become how do we become more profitable how do we trim the fat you know right it's not all about revenue growth it's about profitability right and so just back to this crypto, because we did go on a, a big real estate tangent here and real estate's great. We'll do a dedicated episode to real estate. I could talk about the tone I'm blue in the face and I could give you some more tips and tricks regarding um, different tax breaks and uh, different you know, viable investment methods for real estate um, and, and what to look for in a deal specifically. Um, but uh, back going back to God, you're right? Yep. All right. Uh, can you go on mute for when we're talking? I think that's like probably a good move. Yeah, there's like some weird feedback glitch going on. We haven't had that in the past. So um, you know, when we're done talking, like you'll you'll know you won't hear it really anymore. But there was this weird feedback thing going on. Anyway, I digress. But um back to like Dave Ramsey. So Dave Ramsey, like this segment, there are so many problems with it. So we played out this segment. God was talking like throughout the segment. I I really tried to like kind of hold back until the end. But if you looked at the timeline of like the coins that he, first of all, the coins that he's comparing, it's based on this TikTok and the timelines aren't even accurate, right? He opens up, he compares something from November to what it is in January. Keep in mind, this video was recently posted. This video was posted March 21st, which means in all likelihood, the segment is from March, right? I would hope that you're not uploading videos that are over 30, uh, with the contents over 30 days old. Otherwise you need to, Dave Ramsey should really fire his, uh, social media team and YouTube team. Uh, otherwise it's, I mean, I can't imagine they have cameras in the studio. They're they're ripping audio and visual at the same time. There's hardly any editing that needs to happen. Like just literally rip it out of the entire segment. Like we do with our clips. Um, like we record our whole podcast segment and then we listen back to it. We jot down timestamps and we rip clips. Like, there is a few clips that we'll probably take from each episode, probably about two or three clips from each podcast episode. And I'm sure that Dave Ramsey's team does the same thing. But nonetheless, I mean, the timelines aren't even the same. The timelines are the first thing that he talks about. He pulls something, I believe he says uh, November to January. So it's like, okay, great. You're comparing two months. Like, wonderful. And I think this was the producer. Fire the producer. He's not even using the same timeline. Like, how are you going to compare? Okay, well, if I I owned it for two months, then the stock went down or whatever. Like. That's not a that's not a long enough timeline to even justify, um, you know, being down on a position. So he opens up. He's like, oh, from November to January, you're down on that coin. OK. Then the next one that he compares, he, he says, what? What is it like a five month period or Do- he talked about Dogecoin? So it's like May to like January. So May is the fifth, the, uh, fifth month of a year. Okay, so to January uh, to um, December throughout, let's say, the year end, that's seven. So to January, eight months. So, okay, you're comparing a two month period for one thing and then an eight month period for another. Like, what's the deal with that? Why wouldn't you just have a more consistent uh, timeline for comparison? And, And here's how silly they are. They don't realize this when people do this. This is what's called a straw man argument. And when people do this and actually it's really more of a false equivalency. And when people do that, you know, you got them. You know, th- there's an old school YouTuber I used to watch back in the day, and he used to call himself the puppet master. And he'd go, I got these bozos dancing. That's what he would say. He'd go, dancing like a puppet on the strings. And, you know, all the crypto people, like, they got Dave Ramsey doing mental gymnastics right now. Like, they're like, listen, bozo, you're dancing for me. I'm trolling the shit out of you. And it's fucking hilarious. But, um, you know, how, do you, how are you going to compare timelines that aren't even the same? And the other thing too is he's bringing up Dogecoin. He's bringing up all these garbage coins. Like this is not, you know, specifically financial advice. But like I can speak about what I invest in, and God could speak about what He invests in. And we believe uh, in—we both have differing opinions on certain coins, right? That's what makes us unique. But the crux is still the same. We look for number one fixed cap. Anything with a fixed supply, we like because it's inherently deflationary and it's a good hedge against inflation by default. Uh, obviously, crypto is a very new space. We believe we both have differing opinions on portfolio allocation. I'm a little bit more on the conservative side um, when you look at people who are investing in the crypto space. Some people dedicated 100% of their portfolio. I'm not one of those guys. I'm not going to do that. Stocks have a long proven track record. Real estate has a long proven track record. I'm not going to deviate from... Two things that I mean, literally are the best performing asset classes in the world. Uh, I'm not going to deviate from that, but crypto will account for a large percentage of my portfolio. That's fake news, um, though. What you just said, I'm
1: sorry, fake news. You said real estate and real stocks are the best performing asset classes in the world, as far as I'm concerned, right?
0: Well, long term, long term. Over the past years, years,
1: okay, has, has mm-hmm. a uh, compounded annual growth rate of 164%
0: that's, that's beat stocks by uh 17 fold. I, I'm saying long-term I'm saying long-term and in, in, in the scale of at least 50 years or more. So crypto hasn't been 50 around. It's pretty years. long. I mean, that's, that's about one eighth of a person's life. Okay. Long. But I'm okay. But I'm saying I, I'm not talking about crypto in, in a scale of like 10 years. I'm talking about uh you know, best performing assets within the last 50 to hundred years. Like th- that's a long proven track record. Like that, that definitely matters. Well, but let as far me as,
1: this. Okay. So right. as far wait, as, wait, 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 let me, what stock, right. Has lasted from 1850 to today. Name one stock that has been around since 1850 and is still around today.
0: Well, that doesn't matter because you could just buy an index fund. No, no, no. You know, I want to, you said like, people have this like false equivalency
1: that stocks always go up. So what stock has lasted from 1850 to 2022
0: and then stood the it, test? It fund? doesn't. It, it doesn't matter about, first of all, I don't believe in individ, individual uh, investing in terms of stocks. I think everyone should just buy index funds and then call it even. I think individ, individual investing is like prone to error, prone to human misjudgment. And I think you're putting a lot of trust in management to do the right thing and to um, not, uh, you know, commit any sort of financial fraud, which when you look at the structure of um, compensation for a lot of people who are on these boards, they're almost incentivized to fudge numbers and to uh, mislead the public and um, commit uh, acts of financial fraud because there's little to no punishment and they get golden parachutes and they seem to be able to cash out after they falsify um, financial statements and um, earnings, Uh, even though there is a tight grip. From the SEC, but now as far as like an individual stock, there's not really any one I can point to. I'll okay, give you one want, example. Wait, wait, but wait, I'm just a, saying. I'm just saying. Question. Over there, I have another question. Your, your, yeah, but Naming, your point. Your
1: point. Give me one house
0: that has been around since the 1500s. Uh, America was only settled in 1613, so not in America.
1: I want to know a house that has lasted that long since
0: 1613.
1: Since. Th- yeah, since the 1600s, a house that has lasted that long.
0: I mean, you have different areas like Salem, Massachusetts, which has like a lot of historical uh, significance. The one thing I could think of that like at least as a house from like the 1700s, there's this house called the House of the Seven Gables in Salem, Massachusetts. But that's probably the one of the oldest houses I could think of since like the 1700s. But if you really want to go into that, like the White House was uh, obviously built in like the 1700s and then um, – burnt down the war of eighteen twelve so rebuilt after that. Um, right. So it hasn't lasted. Right. So that's, but that's as enough. far as okay, but as far as in anyway, whatever. My point is not to debate the recent performance of uh crypto relative to these other traditional oh, investments. I'm, it's more so to more so to talk about how for well, the seeing these
1: assets right have have um 50 left,
0: years, 100 years. Wait, okay, name a cryptocurrency that has been around for 50 years. You can't. Because the space only exists. Well, I'm telling since you, right? So. Cryptocurrency will be the only thing that will will stand the test of time. It will be around forever. All right, that's a debatable opinion, but I will. That's a, that's a whole nother debate. But anyway, my point is this. Um, obviously, from what you could tell, me and God have differing opinions about crypto, and um, I'm not saying that I don't want it to be a part of my portfolio. Uh, to some people, I have very aggressive you know, take on crypto and, a uh, aggressive allocation. And, um, to some people it's not enough. Um, but what we're saying is this, this is the main crux. Like, you, you know, you could debate all this stuff if you want. Maybe we'll do this on another episode or at a different point, but, um, crypto, the main reason we like it and the main things that we look for in coins, if you are wondering, um, we're looking for fixed supply. That's number one. That's the most important thing. We need things that are deflationary to move us away from, um, particularly the U S dollar or any sort of currency that's um, that undergoes like a massive wave of inflation, which is just excess money printing. Um, that's number one. That's the number one thing we look for. So anything without a fixed supply, we're immediately ruling out that includes Ethereum, that includes Dogecoin, that includes Shiba Inu, that includes fucking safe moon and, and fucking MILF coin and all these other wacky shit coins. That's number one. Um, number two, the thing we look at it, uh, at least in, this is my opinion. I look at utility. I want to see what is the use of case for what I'm using too on
1: on the supply. It can't be like one fucking quintillion or one one fucking uh, septillion or some shit. Like it can't be a fixed supply that's extremely high.
0: Right. Because at that point, it might as well just be inflationary, you know? Exactly. So another point is utility. I know that I value utility pretty high for cryptocurrencies. Um, I want to see what is, the, what is the use of case. So with Bitcoin, the case is that um, potentially it'll get to a point where transactions uh, will be able to be processed on the network, which will be faster than credit card companies. And the fees associated with conducting those transactions will uh, be substantially cheaper. Because when you think of credit card transactions, they're historically uh, about 3%. Um, with crypto, I can send money to God. Uh, let's say a $100 transaction, I actually can send money from my wallet to his for a lot less than 3%. And ideally, uh, with the network operating at full capacity, it will be able to happen damn near instantaneously. So that's another main reason I like Bitcoin, but not to harp too much on that, but that's the second thing I look at is utility. Um, Then the third thing I could give as a pointer, and this is just a general rule, Anything with a small market cap or relatively small market cap, let's say less than a billion dollar market cap, right? That's getting pushed by influencers, run for the fucking hills. Like if Lana Rhodes is promoting, if you know who that is, you know who that is. But if Lana Rhodes is promoting a coin, don't buy it. Just please don't. If Logan Paul is promoting Dink Doink or whatever the fuck it's called. Don't buy it if Jake Paul is promoting. Um, what was that stupid platform or whatever? That platform's horrible. I, I hate to say it, but what was that Jake Paul platform where he was like, Oh, buy my thing on there? It, it, it's such a shitty platform, they didn't even let you withdraw. What was that called? Do you remember that, God? So long ago, I don't remember. Or his the one that he had before his fights. Yeah, the one that he was promoting, and I remember you, you told me about that uh, off stream. You were like, hey, we need to buy this. And I was like, there's no way to withdraw. And you were like, what? And I'm like, yeah, there's no way to withdraw if you buy on there. What was that called? Uh, I don't even know what you're talking about. What was that? cloud. What was it called? Do you remember? Oh, BitClout, yeah. That's what it was, cloud. I was right. I didn't okay. say to buy
1: anything on there. I said to make an account because you get when you first made an account, you would get free um, – these free social cloud tokens. So it, you might as well sign up and, and you know, if it, ter- if it turns out to be something, then you have to be tokens for free. I didn't put any money into it. I just took the free tokens that they give you on sign up.
0: Yeah. So some people, this is how ridiculous this is. So a bunch of people were promoting this bit thing or whatever. And it was the big, I mean, in my opinion, allegedly is one of the biggest scams ever because you were allowed to put money in, but you couldn't withdraw. So if you put a hundred dollars in like goodbye, you're not getting that hundred back. Like, You know, use, um, which brings me to my next point, use trusted exchanges. That's another big one here, folks. Um, New York has very good guidelines for what uh, constitutes a financial institution and the regulation around that. Um, So New York has a a thing called a bit license, which means that basically these cryptocurrency companies are treated uh, to the same scope as like banking institutions and other major Other major financial institutions like um, private equity firms and hedge funds. So the whole idea is that they abide by um, KYC, which is Know Your Customer Laws, and AML, which is anti-money laundering laws. So the main reason why you want to focus in on that is that New York has the strictest financial regulation of any um, state, province, city in the world. Um, so anything that falls within those guidelines and has a bit licenses, in my opinion, at least a somewhat trustworthy institution. Uh, in addition to that, you also need to look at consumer reviews. That's big time. So this is not, we're not endorsed by anyone here, but two of the major, uh, exchanges that you could look towards, at least if in New York, if you're not in New York, again, you should still look at these institutions if they, uh, do a commerce in whatever region you live in. Coinbase, phenomenal. I think it's pretty much widely accepted that they're the number one exchange to buy cryptocurrency on. Um, Very easy uh, to buy stuff on there. The UI is great. And it's also um, very easy to move stuff off that if you want to move it to cold storage, which some people endorse. Um, And then Gemini is also very good too. Um, The Winklevoss twins were, I think they actually were like the first exchange to get I think Gemini was the first exchange to get a bit license. They seem to have been working very closely with regulators. They introduced their own stable coin, um, which is a pretty interesting thing to read about. Uh, Again, you got to do your own due diligence. We're not offering any financial advice here, but these are things that we look for. Now, we're not necessarily telling you that you have to look for them um, before buying a cryptocurrency, but again, these are things that we look for and it's things that make us um, better investors and we kind of look at things through a scope. Um, but really I could tell you this, anything being endorsed by an influencer. And and if you haven't heard of it before they tweeted about it or they put it on their Instagram story, don't do it. Just, just don't do it. It's not worth it. it it's just a piece of crap. But speaking of cryptocurrencies, um, you know, it seems that now like the whole world's coming together, uh, and there's a lot of like. Different uh, globalization that's going on. Um, So it seems real odd. And um, I was reading something about this new innovation called WorldCoin. And I don't know too much about it, but I think God does. So I don't know if you want to speak on that, but I know you're a little bit more privy to that than me. This is all news to me, though. So Yeah,
1: so um, Sam Altman. Who's basically the uh, former founder of? I think he was the former president actually of Y Combinator. You know that venture capital like startup fund thing. He he basically started this new uh, cryptocurrency coin called Worldcoin, and he he just recently raised a hundred million dollars in a uh, in a token sale, and um, he got investors like and- Andreessen Horowitz and um, Sam Bankman Fried, who's the founder of uh, FTX um and a couple other uh venture capitalists i think actually coinbase actually invested in it too so basically he he started this uh cryptocurrency called WorldCoin, and um so this is like this is like a very interesting uh proposition of what he started so basically um it's this it's this coin where there's this there's so there's this orb basically he he wants to give everybody in in the world uh this cryptocurrency but the problem is like how do you present how do you prevent um people from getting duplicates of a of of a particular cryptocurrency he he, he, um invented this orb where it basically scans everybody's eyes because basically everybody has different um because of the capillaries or whatever in uh, everybody's eyes basically everybody's eyes are different and they have different uh retinal displays so he's basically using this orb to scan everybody's eyes and as a re- as a uh reward for for him scanning your eyes you get this cryptocurrency called uh Royal coin so he's basically giving these orbs to um i think they call them orb developers or whatever so he's sending them out to all different areas i think it's it's um he basically sent it to chile um argentina um and a couple other places where he sent these coins and these people are like signing up uh millions and millions i think they signed up basically like 10 million people already around the world for this um this world coin thing where they scan your eyes and his his idea is basically to um it's to have like a uh universal basic income where everybody is basically allowed to it's going to have a uh Set amount of money each week and he verifies it through basically their retinal scanning which i think presents uh, a couple of privacy concerns where they have this data on your eyes and what are they using this data for and why do they need uh the scanning of your eyes so like i think this is a uh i don't know if i would if i would uh, sign up for this or basically look into this orb and let them have a uh, retinal scanning of my eye i think it's very weird
0: Yeah, I think that that is something that's really interesting. And um, it seems that finally, finally, people are coming around to these really weird, like, privacy concerns arising with companies, right? We see that with Facebook. A lot of people moved away from Facebook. And now we're seeing um, that consumers are putting big tech companies under a lot of pressure to, I I say Facebook, but really, you know, meta, right? they rebranded. Uh, it seems like now a lot of these big tech companies are under fire to like finally take control of privacy issues that have been going on with companies. Like Apple cracked right down on Facebook, right? They stopped targeted ads. That's what it was, and that negatively impacted the stock and just destroyed Facebook's advertising revenue.
1: Yeah, it's true. So the problem I see with this, is, we see with this coin is too. Like I, I guess it, it does present a um, a valid security measure where you can only open your wallet if with your um the retinal scanning your eye because basically if you look at twins or whatever they have the same dna but twins don't have the same um the same uh, retinal scans so basically it, it's it's a way to protect it it's a good technology that's basically a way to protect your cryptocurrency but i think there's uh different measures that can be put in place basically to have your crypto protected you could have you could basically have it secured in one of those vaults i think it's in switzerland it's in the mountains um you could basically invent a um a blood device where it, um it only opens with a, with um your blood or basically you have to um basically uh give it a piece of hair or another piece of dna for it to open i don't think these this uh scanning is a uh viable technology i think
0: it's actually going to present more harm than it does uh good I'm not a I'm not a conspiracy theorist, okay? But let's say I am for the sake of this example, of course. Um, it, to me, it seems that the offering of universal basic income and then access to that universal universal basic income in the form of like retinal scanning and collecting people's DNA, it just seems like they're basically, am I I could be wrong. Like I said, hypothetical, hypothetical conspiracy theorist in this example. If I was a conspiracy theorist, I would kind of think, okay, they're paying peep, they're essentially paying people for their DNA, right? Like, is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. And you know, another thing too. Like I've always, uh, again, hypothetical conspiracy theory example. You know, there are some people who think like. You know, 23 uh, and Me and all these uh, ancestry.com and all these other companies that collect your DNA, like, what are they doing with it? They're obviously not destroying it after the fact, right? Like, how do you, and even if I would say probably started, get to to uh,
1: police agencies, or like, I would say it probably gets stored. I wouldn't doubt that.
0: I mean, if I was a local police department and, you know, someone, whether or not they're an offender or not, like, you have their information, you have their date of birth, you have all their genetic information. Right. Put it into the exactly put it into the database before they even commit a crime and then, like, now a guy commits a crime and let's say, or there are fingerprints on a gun and you don't really have any leads of like who to investigate or you don't have any uh camera footage, you could just run through the database and see whose fingerprints they are before like even interrogating anyone and you'll be able to figure out like that. Could you go, oh, we have a match in our, we have a a 100% match of those fingerprints in our in our database because that guy took a DNA test or whatever the case may, may be, or he like scanned his thumb. Like there's no way that – I find it very hard to believe that, uh, you know, the, these companies aren't turning over this like very sensitive um, uh, DNA he's, information he's, over to um, other law enforcement agencies. Look,
1: these um these orb operators are actually making like a shit ton of money, and they're like in these poor countries like Nigeria, Chile, etc. They're signing up. They they have like a uh, basically a group of people, and they do like twenty four hour shifts. And they're signing up like ten thousand people a week, and they're saying some of these orb operators are making like five hundred thousand dollars a year in these poor ass countries like Chile and Argentina, which is fucking crazy but i i mean i guess that's the location you want to go to if you want to basically have the um the most easy uh way to collect this data like if you if you have uh orb operators in the united states i think they'd be more hesitant to basically uh scan their uh, eyes to get a cryptocurrency but if you go to a poor country where people are starving and they can't uh get food they'd be more open to it
0: of course, because their DNA to them doesn't mean anything, right? Like the main thing that matters to you, if you live in a, a poverty-stricken country or a country that doesn't have uh, adequate access to food, water, and shelter, like your main goal is like, where's my next meal coming from? Like, where am I going to spend the night, right? And how can I put my how can I put myself or my family in that position to be able to have readily uh, available access to food, water, and and uh, adequate shelter? So you know if you sell your data or you sell your information, you're just like, woohoo, like this is good. I'm getting paid for something that doesn't really require too much extra effort on my part, and I'll be able to provide for my family. And these are people who have obviously very limited options. I was reading the
1: white paper, supposedly supposedly they're only going to store your data for two years while they basically work on the technology to um basically develop the retinal scanning. And then they're not going to store your data anymore once it's in the system they're going to like delete it. But I don't know how true that is every time I hear a company say like oh, we don't store your data, we don't keep it on uh, in our servers, maybe about six, seven, eight, nine, ten years later, there is uh, a privacy lawsuit, and they basically pay a huge sum of money because they basically did end up storing your data. Like Snapchat, they said, oh, we don't store pictures, we don't store your pictures on our uh, our data center or our clouds. Then they've got found out later on, oh, they do store your your, your uh, pictures on there. There's tons of companies that say they don't do it, and then they, they basically get discovered that they do do it.
0: Right. Well, how do you think? Here's a main. Here's another main thing that I, you got to think about, folks. With uh, technology, um, any sort of service that's offered to you for free, think about it. You are. How the do product. you think they're making money? Like, I don't know if you saw the show, social dilemma on Netflix. I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. But you are the product, like God just said. Like Facebook is a free to use service, Instagram free to use service, uh, Snapchat free to use service. Like, how do you think these companies have like? multi-billion dollar, or in like Facebook's case, multi-hundred billion dollar valuations. Like, how do you think they make money? They're selling your information and they're targeting you through the form of advertisers. They're straight up selling your information to uh, data banks. Remember that whole Cambridge Analytica scandal? They literally were collecting um, right. Facebook user information and compiling it in a database and sending it out to a third party. And the third party had all of your information.
1: Of course everything everything you search on the internet is being collected as cookies you are being tracked your, your data is being stored you can't do anything in uh basically private anymore if you don't think you're being you're being tracked then there's something wrong with you data is like one of the most valuable commodities in today's world like it's like data and time
0: yeah the common expression is that um data is the new oil or data is the new gold. And I totally agree with it because if you have readily available access to like data. So if I know every single thing that you search up and everything and what your tendencies are, tendencies are in terms of looking things up and like purchase history, like, Oh my God, you know how insanely valuable that is. You literally can use in that sense. Like you could say, okay, someone goes on Amazon and they buy something on a recurring basis. Like, 80 uh, percent of the time that they click on it so like I can run ads for that thing targeted ads towards you and because of that we can like subconsciously um, convince you to buy that thing um, just through targeted ad use right so, just
1: lower the price one dollar if you know someone's buying a uh, tissue paper or whatever for two for 350 if you can then you just basically get it produced for 325 and you target an ad towards them
0: exactly you can you can appeal to uh, human psychology in the same way that casinos do. And in a sense, it is very predatory and it's obviously an invasion of privacy um, but you can appeal to people in the same way that a casino does where you draw people in and um, you can create an environment that's like very addictive and it'll just pull people in. And um, obviously like very unethical, but uh, that that's a major concern for people obviously with uh, all the privacy violations going on. I mean, it's very scary and people are finally waking up to it. Um, you know, crypto is a new space and we, we both really love crypto, but there's going to be some bad actors. And I don't mean bad actors as in, you know, you go and you see a film and the guy acting in the movie sucks. I mean, bad actors as in people who have um, malicious intent, like going and doing things within the crypto space. Um, I think the main focus is like kind of look at how crypto started and look at the roots. The roots of it are to the roots of crypto and the uh, crux of crypto in general, where it started. Like we uh, said earlier, to create an alternative financial system, not to necessarily compete, but just to have an alternative, right? Like that's the whole point of capitalism is to give you options and to provide um, alternative avenues of um, different, you know, just create a marketplace of competition. And they essentially wanted to create a marketplace for competition in the realm of currency. And that's what cryptocurrency uh, and Bitcoin more specifically came from. Uh, And I think that you're going to see that there are a lot of people who kind of err on the side of caution when it comes to that. Um, But it's just such a fascinating thing that's going on. But as far as WorldCoin, I don't know how I feel about universal basic income. I think that there, unfortunately, is a large portion of the population that when their basic needs are met, there's not really going to be much motivation to progress further beyond that. Um, I think a lot of people, unfortunately, become complacent. Uh, I don't think we are necessarily. Uh, I know I am, and I know God isn't. So, because um, our basic our basic needs are met, and we're still looking to improve and innovate in other areas, but that's just kind of how we, um, you know, get motivation. And well, my basic need, need to, right, is I basically need a uh, a yacht. And a probably plane. my basic needs haven't been met yet. Yeah, my my basic needs are um well also another thing too is uh and I guess this is something we could talk about a little bit here, not to drone on, but and to get really like preachy. But like, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about passion and today's day and age, and you see it a lot on social media and you know, if you're on LinkedIn or any other sort of social my network. Passion, I want to be an actor. Yeah, so passion, uh, I can't stand that friggin' word. Like, I really can't stand it. Um, someone had a really good opinion on this, and I'll, I'll just kind of parrot what they said. I forgot who said this, but I saw it quite some time back. But I watch a lot of stuff online, and I try to, um, like we said, and you know, I said before, and uh, take as much information as possible from various different sources. So it's hard to keep tabs on everything. I watch a lot, I'm very active online, I watch a lot of different things. But uh, someone had the opinion of like, and I totally agree with it. they are like passion, passion sucks. I hate, I don't like passion. That was the take. Right. And, um, the whole point is like the person was like, oh, I don't have passion. I have purpose. And they were, the whole point was like, purpose is you're serving, um, a power that's greater than yourself. Like you're serving your community or like you're serving, you're serving your loved you. ones. You're, you're serving your friends. And, um, Passion is like self-fulfilling. Like my, when you think about passion, people say my passion, like me, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to, you know, like God said, oh, I want to be an actor. Oh, I want to do this. My passion, my passion, my passion. That's what they say. And purpose is like, you're serving people. You know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to teach people about financial education. I'm going to offer my opinions on financial education because I think it creates a better society as a whole. Um, it will actually benefit everyone you know, uh, financially, right? Because if people are more financially literate and they're not investing money that they can't afford to lose, when you think about it, there won't be panic selling, right? That's a big thing that will come from increased financial literacy, right? Because how many people are invested in cryptocurrency or in the stock market or in real estate and they're investing money that they can't really afford to lose? It's quite a bit of people that fall into that demographic that I'm talking about, right? You know, if you're 80 years old and unless you have a large amount of discretionary income, you probably shouldn't US equities. You probably should be a nice, healthy mix of bonds or whatever the case may be. You know, there are some people who can tolerate that risk, but uh, there was one gentleman in particular, I remember talking to him. I won't say his name. Let's call him Jim for the sake of the conversation. But uh, an older gentleman who I did happen to work with, and I was talking to him about investing in, particularly the stock market. And he was explaining to me how he had a broker and he was, for the most part, in equities. And he was an older fellow that was closer to retirement. And this was after COVID hit. Um, And I just, I couldn't believe it. I I was just sitting there. I'm thinking like, okay, this is a guy, you know, nice guy, but like he, he doesn't, nice guy, but like, you know, that, you know, when you're talking to someone and there are a lot of people that are like low key millionaires or like very wealthy and you wouldn't really know. The way he was talking about his situation was like, you know, he was kind of banking on social security, banking on other stuff coming in and he's just talking to me and he's like actively trading equities. He's listening to Jim Cramer, big mistake, listening to Jim Cramer for daily advice, hyping him up, telling me that I should watch Jim Cramer for investment advice. He's like, this guy's also pumping shit that he was invested in. And I'm just like, okay, this guy's just like a walking like disaster when it comes to investing. Like, Holy crap. He's actively investing. He's he's ninety percent equities. In his- watch Jim Cramer, like I don't want that. No thanks. I'll stick to my boring index funds. I'll take my, you know, annualized seven percent a year return adjusted for dividends reinvested in inflation, and then I'll work on other areas where active businesses where I can get a better return. Or I'll focus my time to real estate too, and like build up other streams. So. You know, that's kind of my take on it. But, um, you know, these are people like, like I said, there are a lot of people that aren't really financially literate doing things that they really shouldn't be doing. Um, And God, I, I wonder if you have uh, any opinion on that, because I know that that's something that you feel very strongly about as well. All right. You're not you're not supposed
1: to be doing right. What you're passionate about. Oh, I have passion. I have passion. I have passion. And baloney. Who cares about your passion? I could give two shits about your passion. You do what you're good at. You don't do what you're passionate about. If you have passion to be a football player, but you're fucking three foot one and you, you weigh uh, 10 pounds, then you're not going to be a professional football player. If you have passion to be an actor, but you look like the fucking uh, Grinch, you're not going to be an actor. If you have passion to be a model, but you basically you weigh 900 pounds, you're not going to be a model. Oh, wait, maybe you'll be a plus size model. Uh, maybe it'll work out for you. If you had passion to be a, uh, uh, I don't know, you have passion to basically design clothing, but, uh, you, you look like Raggedy McGee. You're not going to, you're not going to basically be able to design clothing and be a fashion designer. You do what you're good at. You don't do what you're passionate about. Right? This isn't fucking, uh, dreamland of, uh, my passion. I must follow my passion. Oh my God, it's in my mind. My passion, my passion, my passion. Yeah, bullshit. Do what you're good at. Make the money. Retire. Basically, then you'll be you'll have a nest egg and you'll be able to support yourself. Then once you have the money and you can support yourself, then you worry about your passion. You don't worry about your passion up front. You worry about your passion once you basically have yourself established.
0: Great, great point. Great point. And I'll say this too. We love doing the show, right? And we're doing the show, and when it first started, we started it with the intent to have fun and to educate people as well. We wanted to be entertaining and educational. But at the same time, we have to be able to make a fucking living. We can't do the show full-time, right? And uh, and to be completely honest with you, there's no reason to do the show full-time and to work on the show as many hours as we would at our full-time jobs and our full-time careers because we wouldn't have stuff to talk about. There's too much stuff going on that – we actually would not have, I mean, uh, rather there, there is a lot going on in the world, but there's not anywhere near 40 hours of content to talk about. Like the main thing that you got to focus on is focus on your career, focus on developing marketable skills, focus on developing networking, focus on developing more specifically connections that will help you in your career and use your free time as like the creative outlet. Um, And as far as your career, like, You know, there are a lot of people that sadly they don't work in fields or like they don't work jobs that they like. And it's unfortunate that they're in those positions, but definitely like maximize your free time. You know, I have uh, I don't want to get too far into my personal life here, but I I have people who um, are in my circle and, you know, they're still kind of figuring things out and they're trying to find out what they want to do. And it's just like I totally get where they're coming from. And I encourage them. I, I'm like, dude, instead of using your free time to hang out and procrastinate, like try to find other areas to like work on things and to figure out what your interests are. I want to hang, right?
1: I want to go to six pack, go down to uh, the beach,
0: you know, catch some Z's. There's nothing wrong with taking a day to yourself or taking a nice trip and kind of relaxing. But I, I'm, I'm the type of guy, and it's definitely something like – I need to go to therapy for or talk to someone about, uh, cause it's not healthy, but I'm the guy that like when I'm on vacation by the start of day three, I'm ready to go home. Like I, I can't do it. I got to find something to do. I got to be productive. Um, you know, I try to lead a healthy life as much as I can. I did eat like shit today. I had fucking Popeye's, which that spicy chicken sandwich was banging. But, um, you know, I try to have smoothies every day. Uh, I try to um, take vitamins every day. I exercise every day in the form of running six miles, or lifting, or ru- I have a rowing machine or rowing. So you know that that's kind of how I try to do it. But in terms of an off day, like tomorrow, I'll probably ta- I'll probably have an off day. But bare minimum, I'm working on our show. I'm working on the podcast. I'm exercising. I'm working on some other things that come up, and then maybe I'll build like a quarter of a day into time for leisure but um, I think the main thing in terms of sustainability is like you need to have your your free time can't be dedicated to doing things that involve wasting a giant amount of your resources your resources are time your resources are money your resources are like the relationships you have with other people. you got to use your time wisely like you could go out and you could and you could have a fun fun night out with your friends you're at the bar and you're drinking but guess what? If you go too hard in the fucking paint that night, you're going to wake up, you're going to feel like shit the next day, and it's going to stunt you for the rest of that next day. Well, you're going to hit your head on the the sidewalk, right? And and then wake up in
1: a hospital? That's what's going to happen, right? What? You're going to hit your head on the sidewalk and, and then wake up in a hospital. That's what's going to happen when you drink too much.
0: Yeah, that happens to a lot of people. A lot of people, they go, like I said, they go too hard in the paint, and then now they're fucked up for the next day, you know? So you really, you have to be cognizant, and you have to make sure that you don't put yourself in that position. So, You know, it's crazy. And uh, I think everyone's been there. Everyone's had times where, like, you go a little too hard in the paint. But at the same time, it's like you need stuff like that to happen. You need some form of, like, um, situation that comes up that's adverse that you deal with in that sense, whether it's self-inflicted or not. You need, like, an adverse situation like that to come up because then it just reminds you that, you know, you can't do that all the time and you really shouldn't make a habit of doing that all the time. And you should kind of focus more on – Trying to do both, like make time to have fun and, and play games and fuck around and also be able to like enjoy your life a little. But you also have to make time to work. So and, you, and really your free time, like you should be using it wisely. You should be using it for professional development. You should be using it to build a healthier lifestyle and to build stuff that's more sustainable. And again, creative outlets, things that you could work on that even necessarily like we do this show, like you know, we both feel very strongly about finance. We could both talk about finance until we're blue in the face. So it works for us. Like, I'm sure that if you're listening to this, there's something that you're passionate about that you want to work on and maybe you're not working on it. Well, you should. And really the whole point is like, don't even worry about making a plan. Like that's another thing people kind of get a little too preoccupied with as well. They focus on making a plan for everything. They try to plan their whole lives out, you know, there's this Mike Tyson quote that's so cliche, but it's so true. It's like everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face or whatever, and it's honestly the truth. Like you, you can't live your life saying, "Oh, I'm gonna plan to do this. I'm gonna plan to do that." Like, no. If whatever you want to do, if you want to work on it, dedicate some of your free time to working on it. Um, make the free time to work on it, and just start today. So, like, if you want to make a YouTube channel or like you want to make a TikTok, make the fucking TikTok and get to work. Start using your free time and think about it from first principles, which I love. Elon Musk talks about this quite a bit. Uh, And first principles is just like, okay, take what you want to do and boil it down to like, what are the steps you can take today that will ensure that you're actively working to achieve the goal that you set out? So like a YouTube channel. Okay, well, I want to be, think about like this. Someone's goal could be, I want to be big on TikTok or I want to be big on YouTube, right? Okay, well, how do you get big on YouTube or TikTok? Well, first you have to make a channel. So, like, okay, let's make the channel. Uh, next, you need content. Okay, the other thing you need to do is like, you need to figure out SEO, search engine optimization so that your videos get recommended. Okay, well, then what else happens with that? Oh, well, you need quality videos, right? So to make quality videos, you need editing software. You need a understanding of editing software. You need to have content and scripts for the content that you want to deliver. Okay, well, what else... Is a part of making quality videos in terms of like the analytical side. Oh, well, you need good retention, right? You need good retention and you need good SEO so your videos get recommended to more people. And that's like what it boils down to. Like you have to look at everything from that on a granular level. Um, and speaking just about like YouTube and, and things like that in general, I don't know if you saw this, God, but um, Graham Stephan posted a video recently on one of his channels and he was talking about how. Uh, it was this whole Graham Stefan after hours channel for a little while. We like Graham Stephan. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'll give a little background here. This is the, um, financial YouTuber. He made a lot of videos back in 2017, 2018, really blowing up in 2018, 2019. Uh, and he talked a lot about real estate. That was his bread and butter. That's how he came to make money on YouTube. Uh, and that's what he spoke about mostly in the very beginning. But, um, it, it just seems that he lost a lot of, um, passion for making videos uh particularly he made this the family channel which he rebranded to like Graham Stephan after hours and it's kind of like a behind the scenes thing so I'm curious to uh hear what you think about this god like did you hear about this at all or is this kind of new to you or no I haven't heard about it what happened with you? Uh, Graham Stephan yeah so he had this vlog channel it was called this the family and he was filming and posting vlogs once a week if you don't know he has an assistant and then he's got an editor and um, he recently announced that he's ending, he's completely ending this uh, daily, he's ending like weekly or daily uploads to this channel. And it's just interesting stuff because he cites like different reasons, which I'll play the video and you guys will hear this. And I'm curious to hear your opinion on this, but um, it's just fascinating stuff. So here we go. Uh, it's called Why I Stopped Posting What Happened. And it's on Graham Steffen's After Hours channel with at Today's date, uh, 62,000 subscribers. So let's hear what he has to say about this.
4: Uh, I've just been too overwhelmed with everything else to think about posting on this channel as well on any sort of consistent schedule. I mean, all of this started really about- guess, You could hear it, right? When Jack was living in the house, Alex was just hired on. And because all of us together working from home five to six days a week, I thought it would be really easy just to- vlog us throughout the day, and then just post it as a once a week video. So I mean, that in the beginning, it it went well. But after some time, I realized that it was like, it was very repetitive. And it felt like we had to go and do things to make the vlog interesting, because just doing titles and thumbnails every day, or like brainstorming topics, or, you know, just everything. It wasn't that exciting. So we tried to spice things up by doing videos like taste testing generic versus other foods or like just doing stuff and it felt like a chore i just i didn't like a lot of the topics that we were posting i felt like you know if, if i get an afternoon off it's a luxury like to have a full day where i don't do anything it's like that doesn't happen there's, al- there's almost never a day where i have a full day off just not to think and, and these are adult. those days it was like well that's our day off we have to film for the uh for this vlog channel the stiff family. And I was like, oh, man, but but I would do it. Yeah. And every week, I just I did not like this videos at all. So when I was telling Alex, I'm like, Hey, if, if we want to actually do something with this channel, we got to figure out something else. And we got to post twice a week. And when Alex was like, Well, you know, I'm not really sure if we have the time to do that. I took that as a challenge. I'm like, I- I'm gonna show everybody that you could do it. If you put your mind to something, you can make it happen. So, for an entire month, I posted three videos a week here on the channel. And uh, I enjoyed it, honestly. At the very beginning, it was different, it was new, and uh, it was fun. But after a month of doing that, three videos a week, mentally, I couldn't handle it. I'll be honest with you. Uh, posting and thinking about something else just zapped my mind. I mean, the, the way I feel like, like I work sometimes is I have so many different things going on that. Uh, it's hard for me to retain information, and it's really, really hard for me to focus on almost anything because I had so many other things going on in my mind that throwing one more thing onto that—it's like I'm juggling a whole bunch of plates. But throwing that one extra plate on there was going to cause everything else just to topple over because I, I mentally I couldn't do it. I could not think of another video, could not think about posting another uh, title, thumbnail, anything. And it was at that point that I realized I'm stressing myself out. I'm getting like just anxious about like having to post another video. Uh, at this point where I was posting like 11 videos a week across five channels. And
0: so I think that's a good place to stop for the clip. Well, the problem I- with him is right.
1: He said, Oh, I can't, I can't think about another thing. I can't do this. I can't do that. Too many, too many can't. That's number one. Number two is right. Why is he thinking about this? This, this should be outsourced to um the guy, Alex or the guy, Jack, or whatever. And he shouldn't even do anything. They should walk around with a camera they should edit it and they should post a video and he should do no thinking at all and that alleviates the stress he, he wants to do everything himself that's the problem and he keeps adding work and adding work and adding work and eventually you you reach your breaking point you can't you can't just keep working 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 and adding more to your work but you have to outsource and you have to add uh employees to the team and he doesn't want to add any employees to the team he wants to be like a, a, a solo show and you know what what gets you to be a millionaire is not going to get you to be a billionaire. And he's got to learn that he needs to hire employees, he needs to outsource, and he needs to work more efficiently instead of sitting around and doing all this thinking about nonsense. Don't think about what goes on the channel. Uh, give uh, someone else a responsibility. Let them post it. And then if they fuck up, you deal with it later. And you tell them you fucked up, right? That strike one. And you give them two more strikes and if they keep fucking up. Then you get somebody else in there to worry about it. But he's he just quit. Because it's too much mental stress. He needs to learn how to outsource.
0: I totally agree. And there's this awesome quote from John D. Rockefeller. I'm sure you've seen it. Where he says. Um, I don't remember the exact quote. So I'll paraphrase it. But he basically says. It's better to reap the efforts of um, 1% of 100 people. Than 100% of your own. So he's basically saying that. like, You have to leverage the talents of other people. And ha- and like build up. An employee base so that you could scale your business and he was basically saying that if you don't do that it's hard to become rich because then you're just like you know especially in like an entrepreneurial field like youtube i mean graham stefan is an entrepreneur like however you look at it um especially with youtube specifically and like some of the other side ventures he has like yeah youtube is good but like At the same time, like you said, you need other people working for you. There's no reason why for like a, there's no reason why he shouldn't have a vlog channel, like just filming and whatever. Okay. Ready? Take the camera, film, like film it, selfie style. Like you don't even have to have like a crazy camera, like a DSLR or whatever. Right. So people who don't know, like a DSLR is like a very fancy, um, like YouTube camera. It's like one of the most commonly cameras owned by uh, big name YouTubers and aspiring YouTubers um, it's like a four or $500 camera. Like you really don't even need that. You, the iPhone cameras are so good that you could get away with using an iPhone camera and just filming like selfie style. As long as you have enough memory storage on that device, film for like an hour or two, maybe three hours. And in his case specifically, he wants to go on trips. He cites that he has this big, and I'm talking about Graham Stefan, of course, he cites that he wants to go on these massive trips and like Go on vacations. Okay. So go on these vacations. Film for like, I don't know, two hours or three hours of the day. Don't film the entire day. That's a little freaking ridiculous. Film for like two or three hours of the day of like what you think is the most exciting thing that other people would want to see. Right. So don't film yourself sitting in your hotel room before you go to bed or like don't film yourself in the morning if you know you're groggy and you're not going to have the energy that's going to draw people in. But if like you're going to a water park or whatever, or you're going to, um, the beach and like, you're going to ride jet skis or do something really cool. Film that part of it, film that aspect of the day. And then what you do is you have it three hours, whatever you upload it to a Google drive or you, you send it to the editor and then let the editor parse through it and, and pull out the most engaging parts. And then boom, that's your video. Like to have someone else do that is not complicated. And as far as I'm concerned, like, you know, I, I do the bulk of editing for the show and it's just like, And that's just because of the background that I have where like with, you know, other ventures, like I kind of taught myself how to edit, but like editing is not hard. And the people who try to hype it up and make it seem like it's hard, like, okay, editing a Mr. Beast video. Like if I had to work for Mr. Beast as an editor, perfect example, someone like him, his edits are insanely complicated. If you watch one minute of a Mr. Beast video, I'm telling you right now, count out the edits. And I don't just mean visual edits. I mean, count out edit, like in terms of text on screen, visual edits, sound effect edits, camera cut edits. Mr. Beast probably has about 40 to 50 edits in the first minute of a video, like just in the first minute. And if you watch like the first 10 seconds, he probably has at least like 15 right there. So, because that's just the way that his videos are structured. Like he understands that, he understands human psychology and he understands that the average person's attention span is only four seconds, which means that he has to constantly make cuts and like jump right into action to be able to, to hook and to draw in the viewer. So that's why he does his videos the way that he does. And you could watch interviews with him and watch him talk about that fascinating stuff. But Graham Stephan, again, there's no reason for him not to have other people working for him. The guy made $6 million last year. And I just don't understand why he doesn't have more people working for him. I don't even mean like you don't need people on salary. You could literally pay people on results. Like you could hire people. And I know, God, you talk about this too. Like hiring people in terms of results uh, orientation where it's like, okay, if you upload like two videos a week, you get X amount of money. If you upload one video a week, you get Y amount of money. And that's how you could do it. You don't even have to pay people per hour if you don't want to do that he clearly has the capital and the time to hire a, excuse me I'm burping to hire other people and to train them but he just doesn't want to do it and i don't understand why
1: i mean he's just simply he, he's uh i think it's because he like his stress levels he worries too much he's a control freak he wants to basically control every aspect he thinks if something if uh one of the people mess up then it's going to screw up the algorithm he he lives in this like uh Kind of this like uh those people that have the crystal balls, what are they called? Uh what, like crystal- fortune teller? Yeah, he lives in this fortune teller world where he thinks you know everything has to go perfect and you don't have to have any adversity and you have to follow this streamlined path. Like, no, there's gonna be adversity, you know. Your employees are not gonna do the same uh they're not gonna put the same amount of effort in that you do. And but you have to accept that that you know you have to uh basically diversify your time and focus on more meaningful things more important things so that you can expand and grow and uh he, he keeps worrying about nonsense uh, he should he should have this vlog channel he should keep it going and i don't even know why he shut it down for that, that that would probably add about i don't know 100 dollars of in income he could hire realistically two to three people to work on it meanwhile he really only needs one person to work on it so there's an arbitrage there of like hundred thousand dollars a year in income and he just gave it up for no reason. He doesn't even, he wouldn't have to worry about it. He wouldn't have to do nothing. That's like a 300000
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you bring that up because if he did bring another person on board, I mean, I saw the uh, podcast where he had Alex on, Alex the editor. And uh, Alex, it seems like he does a lot of work and it seems that he does a lot of good work because. Apparently, on a lot of the video, on most of the videos that I watch, like Alex does most of the editing, so it seems like he's doing a pretty good job with editing. But it's just like you could easily bring another person on. Like I said, film it doesn't have to be weekly, like once a week. You don't have to do exciting shit, but like just try to film like you know a couple hours a day on like an iPhone, like completely unedited, and then let someone else edit it. Like that's it. You know, literally have a GoPro, have an iPhone camera you know, put yourself on camera. Oh, Hey, I'm doing this, whatever. And then what you do is that's it. You let someone else worry about it. It, And also his videos, like he should have structure for his videos, have an outline of what you want to talk about, hammer home the main points and like, don't really drag it on. Like, and the other thing too, is that if you fuck up, like during a take, sit there and film for like two or three hours a day, or however long it takes you to do a video. Shouldn't I I think I would think at this point, you're, you have a process that where it really doesn't take you three hours to film, maybe three hours of like planning and filming. Um, Because I would think that planning should take a lot more than doing the video itself. Like at this point with where he is in YouTube and how long he's been doing it, there shouldn't really, he should be getting everything done on like the first or second take. And even if there are segments, like where he screws up, break everything down into points. Like, you know, if you have a main thing you want to talk about, talk about like the five most important things about it. And then what you do is, record all of it in one take. So like talk about the first point, but maybe do two or three takes three takes of the second, third and fourth and fifth point. And like in that sense, then you could kind of mix and match them because you're gonna have a transition or you're gonna have some sort of break between the first and second point. So like for instance, let's say you nail the first point that you're talking about and you do three takes and the first take came out the best. So you use the first take and then the second point you're talking about in the video, like Maybe the first take you didn't do too good, but the second point you did, the second take you did for the second point you did good on, use that take. Then maybe the third one you did, again, you did like, you know, the third point you're talking about in the video, like the first take that you did was perfect. And the fourth point, like maybe the third take was the best one. Like that's how you got to do it. You got to be smart. Um, So this whole notion of like, oh, I'm going to film for like an hour or like 15 minutes of like a video and it's going to be perfect. Like it's not going to be. And as far as, like, the editing in his videos, it's, like, pretty simplistic. Like, it's not anything crazy. It's literally just jump cuts and then he cuts to, like, different audio or, like, I noticed Jack's been putting, like, a lot of memes in the videos. So, like, that's cool shit and that allows him to at least put some type of, like, um, artistic spin on, like, what he's doing. But as far as anything else, like, you know, the editing, like, compare that to, like, a Mr. Beast video. That editing is nothing. Like, it's nothing really to be overly concerned with and, um, you know... I think a lot of people, a lot of YouTubers in particular or people who are in like the creative space like content creators, they they struggle with this problem of like they feel like they're losing creative touch when they hire editors, but the reality is like you're not losing the creative touch because you're still designing and creating the video itself. Like just because you're not a part of like the editing process doesn't really mean anything. At least in my opinion, I don't really see a big problem with that. Like if I had people working for me and I knew that they were very good editors. Like I'd let them put their own spin on it. I'd record. I'd create the planning for the video. I'd create like titles for the video, and then that's kind of it. Like, and as far as like what Graham's doing with thumbnails and stuff like that, I mean, his thumbnails are on the main channel. They're all pretty much the same. Like he he makes like three faces, and then he just puts it in like the right side of the video, and the videos tend to do pretty well. But it just seems like at this point, like, I mean, he he's got to move more towards. um just focusing on other areas, like, cause he, like I said, he has the money and he has the resources to hire more people and to kind of take the, take a load off. So I don't know. And if, and if he thinks that the people who are working for him aren't doing a good enough job, then you got to look for other people. And at some point you got to find people who are much more um, uh, goal oriented and people who share like the same ideas as you and people who are more receptive to like how you want the videos to be structured. I mean, there's no reason not to close out today's episode if you're still here i'm glad you stuck it out to the end leave a comment down below comment fucking subscribe
1: button. otherwise i'm gonna come to your fucking house better hit that subscribe button
0: <laughs> yeah me? we're yeah we're gonna pull Nobody up listening. we're in the space
1: we're in the spaceship and you don't hit that fucking subscribe button, right? i'm pulling up i'm pulling up with a marty mcfly vehicle And you're going to have major issues if you don't hit that subscribe button. We're
0: pulling up in the spaceship. That's why the spaceship's always driving, right? It's always driving. It's always flying. We're always, we out here, you know, we're always in motion. And if you notice, we're always moving forward. And that's how you have to be mentally and physically. Right. And on that note, thanks for joining us. Have a good time. And come back next time. If you made it this far, that's it. That's right. That's right. Like, comment, and subscribe. If you made it this far. Comment down below and write down uh, jumping kangaroos. That's going to be the code word for today's episode. Peace
2: out, everyone.